Welcome to another episode of Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Every Tuesday and Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, we're getting together on YouTube Live to broadcast a cold reading of a Shakespeare play. Our actors run the gamut from um, non-professional actors to some of the biggest names in uh, North American classical theater. Um, But what we all have in common is just a really genuine love of Shakespeare and in these uncertain, really genuinely scary times, um, what makes us feel better is getting together and listening to the text and exploring these stories together. So hopefully these episodes will bring you comfort as well, and you'll enjoy them as much as we enjoyed recording them. Um, All of the videos are available on our YouTube channel, which you just search My Entertainment World, um, as well as on our website, myentertainmentworld.ca, where you can find the full cast lists, um, as well as lots of other articles and all of our other content that we have going up all the time. Um, also, you should follow us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's both MyEntWorld, MyENTWorld. Um, there you'll see, be able to see highlights from all of the recordings, um, as well as you can get the links to watch us live. Um, But we also have all sorts of content created just specifically for those platforms. In addition to, um, that's where you can find links to all of our website content as well, which is myentertainmentworld.ca. The videos do stay up after the live recording, so you can watch them after the fact, or you can catch the audio version in the podcast feed, um, which is you just search My Entertainment World in uh, iTunes, and there you'll find all of our different podcast series, where we have the favorite series, the Shakespeare series, the nominee interview series, uh, Corona Cold Reads, Corona Movie Club, Season 1, Episode 1, and the My Entertainment World podcast. Um, Tons of different things happening. There's never been a better time to subscribe to our podcast. We have so much content happening right now. Um, but you're here for Corona Cold Reads for Shakespeare. Um, so these are cold reads for the most part. Uh, our actors n- did not have more than a day, maybe two, if they're lucky, um, to look over the text if they wanted to. Most of them didn't have the chance to. So it is just them sitting down and reading it cold. Um, so you'll you'll be able to hear that there will be some rocky moments and sometimes when we may have to pause and um, wonder why somebody's got their zoom on mute or you know how things happen. Um, we're all adjusting to these new technologies to cope with what we're going through right now. So I hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. We've made it to Richard III. Uh, For anyone who's been with us through this entire month-long history cycle of eight plays, congratulations. You've survived. We've survived. We all made it. This play is really good. Um, It's a famous one. It's a popular one. It's a fun one. Um, Yeah, we did it. We did all the hard stuff. Now we just have to do another 20 plays, I think. I think there's about 20 left. Um, but it's going to be fun. And this is Richard III. Um, so this is just great. Uh, this is the culmination of everything. Um, eight plays leading up to this, specifically four plays leading up to this, because the history cycle can be divided into two sections if you want to. It, um, Richard II through Henry V, and then Henry VI and Richard III if you want to. But let's face it, it's a whole, one whole big history. Um, so at the end of the War of the Roses, we are left with the son of York on the throne. Um, and uh, yeah, his, uh, he's got, his brother Richard is up to something. 
is sort of all you really need to know going into this play. It's got a relatively, it's got lots of plot machinations along the way, but it's got a relatively simple thrust. Um, you're going to see Mo Kamali playing the role of Richard III in his third play in a row. Uh, the character is introduced with like a little 12 line part in Henry VI part two. And then he has a lot to do in Henry VI part three. Uh, one of the long, the longest speech in the canon, um, is in Henry VI part three. And then he gets to take the lead in Richard III. So anyone who's been following along, you've heard Mo in the previous two. So you're going to hear him at the climax of this, uh, of his story arc with this play. Um, you're also going to hear the final performance of uh, Susan Bond as Margaret. Um, after fo- This is her fourth play in a row. Uh, that's been a really interesting character arc to watch. Um, as always, we have our troubadours to help you out in case you didn't understand or weren't able to catch uh, Henry VI Part Three. Um, so they're here to help you out and... I don't know. I don't think I have to tell you very much about what happens in Richard III. I think you'll be able to understand. It's a pretty clear play. Uh, lots of great women in this cast, um, a lot of whom you met in the previous one. Or not a lot of the women. You've met a lot of this cast in the previous one. Uh, you, Margaret and Elizabeth are back. Um, Gabby Grice is playing Elizabeth. Uh, who else of note? Edward comes back. That's played by Nicanor Campos. Um, Hilary Wardinger is going to carry over her per- role as Clarence. And we're going to meet Laura Hubbard's Lady Anne, who is an absolute treat. Um, So, Oh, and we're also, Amy Keating joined us for this one, um, who Toronto audiences know from her work with Outside the March. So that was exciting. She played Buckingham. And uh, yeah, so I hope you enjoy Richard III. And congratulations for making it to the end of the Henry ad. I'm proud of you. The final play in our month-long history cycle, The Life and Death of Richard III. Enter two troubadours. One, two, three, four. York and Henry each think they have the stronger claim when it comes to the English throne. In the hopes of peace, Henry names York heir, disavowing his very own. This doesn't sit well with Maggie and Cliff. No shit. They think that Henry's too soft. He is. Meanwhile, you're convinced not to wait for the crown and declares that the war isn't off. Richard. Yup. So Margaret shows up with an army of men. Clifford captures York's youngest son. He stabs him to death to avenge his dad. And that's the end of Rutland. Bye-bye, Rutland. Yeah, he kind of comes back. Oh, so dark. Yeah. But the battle is won with the capture of York and a standoff between him and Megs. And just before she stabs him to death, she taunts him with Rutland's blood so red. It's a choice. Henry is appalled by the civil war. He watches Clifford die. He tries to flee, but is caught by men to whom Edward they have pledged their lives. So let's claim the throne, send Warwick to France to find him a new boo. Margaret has the same idea, but she's looking for a whole new crew. And she's a woman! The king of France grants Warwick's match, therefore taking Edward's side. 
but it doesn't last long and even Warwick's pissed when it turns out King Eddie lied. Wait, what happened? Oh, it's just that like he fell in love with someone else and she's like super awesome and like super hot and cool and pretty and smart and amazing and intelligent and she's just like amazing all around. She's the best in all the history plays. Everyone thinks she's awesome. So they're not all on board with Ed's new gal, but he says, yeah, well, fuck you, I'm king. That's too much for George, who changes teams. And Richard gets too plotting. Now Warwick is back, he's on a different side, and he captures Edward with ease. Ed's immediately sprung by Hastings and Dick. And looks for help in Burgundy. Wait, wait, Burgundy? Oh my god, what? So Edward's not the king right now. Yeah, no, no. See, well, Henry was for a minute, and then Edward took it back so again. what happens to Henry? Oh, he's locked up in the tower again. And what about his friends? Okay, see, well, um, uh, George is back on his brother's side. Okay, Margaret's on her way back from France. And the rest of Henry's friends are either dead or dying. But there is this one young kid, and he's pretty chill. His name's Earl of Richmond. And for safety, he's sent to Brittany. Okay, so wait, um, does that mean that if I just like go up to Queen Elizabeth and like snatch her crown and then run away really fast and no one catches me, that just basically means that I'm the queen now? Yes. Great. So York's bros battle their old pal Warwick. But he's slain by Eddie the King. Oh, right, he's king now. They also arrest Megs and young Prince Edward. Another and they one? murder him by, you guessed it, stabbing. Richard goes to the tower to have a heart-to-heart with poor, sad St. Henry. But Dick is not new, but he never is. And kills him with a machete. Really? No, he stabbed him with a knife like every single other person in this for now, Edward is king, he rests on his laurels, but he doesn't know his brother's true mind. He blissfully celebrates his new baby boy, while Judas bides his time. Guys, that was amazing. So sad. That was our last, our last intro. You've been the best this whole time. Okay. Act one, scene one. London, a street. Enter Gloucester. Oh, is the winter of our discontent, made glorious summer by this son of York, and all the clouds that lord upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried. Now are our brows bound with victorious wreaths, our bruised arms hung up from monuments. Our stern alarms changed to merry meetings, our dreadful marches to delightful measures. Grim-visaged war hath smoothed his wrinkled front. And now, instead of mounting barbed steeds to fright the souls of fearful adversaries, he capers nimbly in a lady's chamber to the lascivious pleasing of a lute. But I, that I'm not shaped for sportive tricks, nor made to court an amorous looking glass. I that am rudely stamped and want love's majesty to strut before a wanton ambling myth. I that am curtailed of this fair proportion, cheated of feature by dissembling nature, deformed, unfinished, sent before my time into this breathing world, scarce half made up, and that so lamely and unfashionable that dogs bark at me as I halt by them. 
why I, in this weak piping time of peace, have no delight to pass away the time, unless to spy my shadow in the sun and descant on mine own deformity. And therefore, since I cannot prove a lover, to entertain these fair, well-spoken days, I am determined to prove a villain and hate the idle pleasures of these days. Plots have I laid, inductions dangerous by drunken prophecies, libels and dreams to set my brother Clarence and the king in deadly hate, the one against the other. And if King Edward be as true and just as I am subtle, false, and treacherous, this stage should Clarence closely be mewed up about a prophecy which says that she of Edward's heirs, the murderer, shall be. Dive thoughts down to my soul. Here Clarence comes. Enter Clarence, guarded in Brackenberry. Brother, good day. What means this armed guard that waits upon your grace? His majesty, tendering my person's safety, hath appointed this conduct to convey me to the tower. Upon what cause? As my name is George. Alack, my lord, that fault is none of yours. He should for that commit your godfathers. Oh, like his majesty hath some intent that you shall be new christened in the town. But what's the matter, Clarence? May I know? Yea, Richard, when I know, for I protest as yet I do not. But as I can learn, he hearkens after prophecies and dreams, and from the crossroad plucks the letter G, and says a wizard told him that by G his issue disinherited should be. And for my name of George begins with G, it follows in his thought that I am he. These, as I learn, and such toys as these, have moved his highness to commit me now. (laughs) Why, this it is when men are ruled by women. Tis not the king that sends you to the tower. My lady Grey, his wife, Clarence, tis she that tempers him to this extremity. Was it not she and that good man of worship, Anthony Woodville, her brother there, that made him send Lord Hastings to the tower, from whence this present day he is delivered? Mm, We are not safe, Clarence. We are not safe. By heaven, I think there is no man as secure but the the queen's kindred and night-walking heralds that trudge twixt the king and Mistress Shore. Heard ye not what a humble suppliant Lord Hastings was for his, to her for his delivery? Humbly complaining to her deity got my Lord Chamberlain his liberty. I'll tell you what. I think it is our way, if we will keep in favor with the king, to be her men and wear her livery, the jealous overrun widow and herself, since that our brother dubbed them gentlewomen, our mighty gossips in this monarchy. I beseech your graces both to pardon me. His majesty hath straightly given in charge that no man shall have private conference of what degree soever with his brother. Even so, and it please your worship, Brackenberry, you may partake of anything we say. We speak no treason, man. We say the king is wise and virtuous, 
and his noble queen, well struck in years, fair and not jealous. We say that Shore's wife hath a pretty foot, a cherry lip, a bonny eye, a passing pleasing tongue, and that the queen's kindred are made gentlefolks. How say you, sir? Can you deny all this? With this, my lord, myself have not to do. Not to do with Mistress Shore? I tell thee, fellow, he that doth not with her, excepting one, were best he do it secretly. What alone. one? What one, my lord? Her husband, knave. Wouldst thou betray me? I beseech your grace to pardon me, and withal forbear your conference with the noble duke. We know thy charge, Brackenbury, and will obey. We are the queen's abjects and must obey. Brother, farewell. I will on to the king, and whatsoever you will employ me in, were it to call King Edward's widow's sister, I will perform it to enfranchise you. Meantime, this deep disgrace in brotherhood touches me deeper than you can imagine. I know it pleaseth neither of us well. Well, your imprisonment shall not be long. Meantime, have patience. I must perforce. Farewell. Exit Clarence Brackenberry in guard. <laughs> Go. Tread the path that thou shalt ne'er return. Simple, plain Clarence. I do love thee so, that I will shortly send thy soul to heaven. If heaven will take the present at our hands, who comes here? The new delivered Hastings. Enter Hastings. Good time of day unto my gracious lord. As much unto my good lord Chamberlain. Well, are you welcome to the open air? How hath your lordship brooked imprisonment? With patience, noble lord, as prisoners must. But I shall live, my lord, to give them thanks that were the cause of my imprisonment. <clears throat> no doubt. No doubt. And so shall Clarence, too. For they that were your enemies are his, and have prevailed as much on him as you. More pity that the eagles should be mewed while kites and buzzards pray at liberty. What news abroad? No news so bad abroad as this at home. The king is sickly, weak, and melancholy, and his physicians fear him mightily. Now, by St. Paul, this news is bad indeed. Oh... He hath kept an evil diet long, and overmuch consumed his royal person. Tis very grievous to be thought upon. What, is he in his bed? Yes. Go you before, and I will follow you. Exit Hastings. He cannot live, I hope, and must not die till George be packed with post-horse up to heaven. I'll in to urge his hatred more to Clarence with lies well steeled with weighty arguments. And if I fall not in my deep intent, Clarence hath not another day to live. Which done, God take King Edward to his mercy and leave the world for me to bustle in. For then I'll marry Warwick's youngest daughter. What, though I killed her husband and her father, the readiest way to make the wench amends is to become her husband and her father. The which will I. Not all so much for love as for another secret close intent. By marrying her which I must reach on to. 
but yet I run before my horse to market. Clarence still breathes. Edward still lives and reigns. When they are gone, then I must count my gains. Exit. Scene two, the same, another street. Enter the corpse of King Henry VI, the gentleman with halberds to guard it, and Lady Anne being the mourner. Sit down. Sit down, your honorable load. If honor may be shrouded in a hearse, whilst I a while obsequiously lament the untimely fall of virtuous Lancaster. Poor, key cold figure of a holy king. Pale ashes of the house of Lancaster. Thou bloodless remnant of that royal blood. Be it lawful that I invocate thy ghost to hear the lamentations of poor Anne. Wife to thy Edward, to thy slaughtered son. Stabbed by the self-same hands that made these wounds. Lo, in the windows that let forth thy life, I pour the helpless balm of my poor eyes. Cursed be the hand that made these holes. Cursed the heart that had the heart to do it. Cursed the blood that let this blood from hence. More direful hide that hated wretch than I can wish to adders, spiders, toads, or any creeping venomed thing that lives. If ever he have child, abortive be it. Prodigious and untimely brought to light, whose ugly and unnatural aspect may fright the hopeful mother at their view, and that be heir to his unhappiness. If ever he have wife, let her be made as miserable by the death of him as I am made by my poor Lord and thee. Come now. Towards Chertsey with your holy load, taken from Paul's to be interred there. And still, as you are weary of the weight, rest you, whilst I lament King Henry's course. Enter Gloucester. Stay, you that bear the course and set it down. What black magician conjures up this fiend to stop devoted charitable deeds? Villains, set down the course. Or by St. Paul, I'll make a course of him that disobeys. What? Do you tremble? Are you all afraid? Alas, I blame you not, for you are mortal, and mortal eyes cannot endure the devil. Avant, thou dreadful minister of hell. Thou hadst but power over his mortal body, his soul thou canst not have, therefore be gone. Sweet saint, for charity, be not so cursed. Foul devil, for God's sake, hence, and trouble us not. For thou hast made the happy earth thy hell, filled it with cursing cries and deep exclaims. If thou delight to view thy heinous deeds, behold this pattern of thy butcheries. Gentlemen, see. See dead Henry's wounds open their congealed mouths and bleed afresh. Blush, blush, thou lump of foul deformity. Tis thy presence that exhales this blood from cold and empty veins where no blood dwells. Thy deed, inhuman and unnatural, provokes this deluge most unnatural. O God, which this blood madest revenge his death. 
O earth with this which this blood drinkest revenge his death either heaven with lightning strike the murderer dead or earth gape open wide and eat him quick as thou dost swallow up this good king's blood which his hell-governed arm hath butchered lady you know no rules of charity which renders good for bad blessings for curses villain hallowest no law of god nor man no beast so fierce and no some touch of pity but I know none, and therefore am no beast. How oh, wonderful when devils tell the truth. More wonderful when angels are so angry. Vouchsafe divine perfection of a woman of these supposed evils to give me leave by circumstance, but to acquit myself. Vouchsafe diffused infection of a man. Were these known evils, but to give my leave, give me leave by circumstance to curse thy cursed self. <laughs> Fairer than tongue can name thee. Let me have some patient leisure to excuse myself. Fouler than heart can thank thee, thou canst make no excuse current but to hang thyself. <laughs> by such despair, I should accuse myself. And by despairing shouldst thou stand excused for doing worthy vengeance on thyself, which did unworthy slaughter upon others. Say that I slew them not. Why then they are not dead. But then they are, and devilish slave by thee. I did not kill your husband. Why then he is alive. Nay, he is dead, and slain by Edward's hand. In thy foul throat thou liest. Queen Margaret saw thy murderous falchion smoking in his blood, which thou once didst bend against her breast, but thy brothers beat aside the point. I was provoked by her slanderous tongue, which laid their guilt upon my guiltless shoulders. I was provoked by thy bloody mind, which never dreamt on aught but butcheries. Didst thou not kill this king? Mm, I grant ye. Dust. Grant to me, hedgehog. Then God grant me too. Thou mayest be damned for that wicked deed. He, he was gentle, mild, and virtuous. Mm. The fitter for the king of heaven that hath him. He is in heaven, where thou shalt never come. Let him thank me, that hope to send him thither. For he was fitter for that place than earth. And thou unfit for any place but hell. Yes, one place else, if you will hear me name it. Some dungeon. Your bedchamber. Ill rest betide the chamber where thou liest. So will it, madam, till I lie with you. I hope so. I know so. But, gentle Lady Anne, to leave this keen encounter of our wits and fall somewhat into a slower method is not the causer of the timeless deaths of these Plantagenets, Henry and Edward, as blameful as the executioner. Thou art the cause and most accursed effect. Your beauty was the cause of that effect. Your beauty, which did haunt me in my sleep to undertake the death of all the world so I might live one hour in your sweet bosom. If I thought that, I tell thee homicide. These nails should rend that beauty from my cheeks. These eyes could never endure sweet beauty's wreck. You should not blemish it if I stood by. 
as all the world is cheered by the sun, so I by that. It is my day, my life. Fuck night or shade thy day, and death thy life. Curse not thyself, fair creature, thou art both. I would I were to be revenged on thee. It is a quarrel most unnatural to be revenged on him that loveth you. It is a quarrel just and reasonable to be revenged on him that slew my husband. He that bereft thee, lady, of thy husband, did it help? Did it to help thee to a better husband? His better doth not breathe upon the earth. He lives that loves thee better than he could. Name him. Plantagenet. Why, that was he. The selfsame name, but one of better nature. Where is he? Here. Why dost thou spit at me? What a mortal poison for thy sake. Never came poison from so sweet a place. Never hung poison on a fowler toad. Out of my sight thou dost infect mine eyes. Thine eyes, sweet lady, have infected mine. Would they were basilisks to strike thee dead. <laughs> Would they were, that I might die at once. For now they kill me with a living death. Those eyes of thine from mine have drawn salt tears. Shame their aspect with store of childish drops. These eyes that never shed remorseful tear. No, when my father York and Edward wept to hear the piteous moan that Rutland made. When black-faced Clifford shook his sword at him. Nor when thy warlike father, like a child, told the sad story of my father's death. And twenty times made pause to sob and weep. That all the slanders by, that all the standers by had wet their cheeks like trees bedashed with rain. In that sad time, my manly eyes did scorn and humble tear. And what these sorrows could not thence exhale, thy beauty hath, and made them blind with weeping. I never sued to friend nor enemy. My tongue could never learn sweet, smoothing word, but now. Thy beauty is proposed my fee, my heart, my proud heart sues and prompts my tongue to speak. Teach not thy lips such scorn, for they were made for kissing, lady, not for such contempt. If thy revengeful heart cannot forgive, lo, here I lend thee this sharp pointed sword, which if thou please to hide in his in this true bosom. And let the soul forth that adorneth thee, I lay it naked to the deadly stroke, and humbly beg the death upon my knee. Lays his breast open, she offers at it with a sword. Nay, do not pause, for I did kill King Henry, but twas thy beauty that provoked me. <clears throat> Nay, now dispatch. Twas I that stabbed young Edward, but twas thy heavenly face that set me on. Here she lets the, fall the sword. Take up the sword again, or take up me. Arise, dissembler. Though I wish thy death, I will not be thy executioner. Then bid me kill myself, and I will do it. I have already. Touch. That was in thy rage. Speak it again. 
And even with the word, that hand which for thy love did kill thy love, shall for thy love kill a far truer love. To both their deaths thou shalt be accessory. I would, I knew thy heart. <laughs> Tis figured in my tongue. I fear me both are false. Then never man was true. Well, I'll put up your sword. Say then, my peace is made. That you shall know hereafter. But shall I live in hope? All men, I hope, live so. Vouchsafe to wear this ring. To take is not to give. Look, how this ring encompasseth finger. Even so, thy breast encloseth my poor heart. Wear both of them, for both of them are thine. And if thy poor devoted suppliant may but beg one favor at thy gracious hand, thou dost confirm his happiness forever. What is it? That it would please thee leave these sad designs to him that hath more cause to be a mourner. And presently repair to Crosby Place, where after I, I have solemnly interred at Chertsey Monastery this noble king and wet his grave with my repentant tears, I will with all expedient duty see you for divers unknown reasons. I beseech you, grant me this boon. With all my heart, much it joys me too to see you are become so penitent. Trussell and Barclay, go along with me. Uh, uh, bid me farewell. Tis more than you deserve. But since you teach me how to flatter you, imagine I have said farewell already. Excellent Lady Anne, Trussell, and Berkeley. Sirs, take up the course. Towards Chertsey, noble lord. No, to Whitefriars. There attend my coining. Exent all but Gloucester. Was ever woman in this humor wooed? Was ever woman in this humor won? I'll have her, but I will not keep her long. <laughs> what? I, that killed her husband and his father, to take her in her heart's extremest hate, with curses in her mouth, tears in her eyes, the bleeding witness of her hatred by, having God, her conscience, and these bars against me. And I, nothing to back my suit at all, but the plain devil and dissembling looks, and yet to win her? All the world to nothing. Ha! Hath she forgot already that brave prince, Edward, her lord, whom I some three months since stabbed in my angry mood at Tewkesbury. A sweeter and a lovelier gentleman framed in the prodigality of nature, young, valiant, wise, and no doubt, right royal, the spacious world cannot again afford, and will she yet debase her eyes on me? 
that cropped the golden prime of this sweet prince and made her widow to a woeful bed. On me, who's all not equals Edward's moiety. On me that halt and I'm unshapen thus. My dukedom to a beggarly denier, I do mistake my person all this while. Upon my life, she finds, although I cannot, myself to be a marvelous, proper man. I'll be at charges for a looking glass and entertain some score or two of tailors to study fashions to adorn my body, since I am crept in favor with myself, will maintain it with some little cost. But first, I'll turn young fellow in his grave and then return lamenting to my love. Shine out, fair son, till I have bought a glass that I may see my shadow as I pass. Exit. Scene three, the palace. Enter Queen Elizabeth, Rivers, and Grey. Patience, madam. There's no doubt his majesty will soon recover his accustomed health. In that you brook in it, it makes him worse. Therefore, for God's sakes, entertain good comfort and cheer his grace with quick and merry words. If he were dead, what would betide of me? No other harm but loss of such a lord. The loss of such a lord includes all harm. The heavens have blessed you with a goodly son to be your comforter while he is gone. Oh, he is young, and his minority is put in, unto the trust of Richard Gloucester, a man that loves not me nor none of you. Is it concluded that he shall be protector? It is determined, not concluded yet, but so it must be if the king miscarry. Enter Buckingham and Derby. Here come the lords of Buckingham and Derby. Good time of day unto your royal grace. Darby? Chris, are you here? Oh, dear. Hold on. We'll wait for him. Okay. Now we got it. I had to call in because I lost my internet. Oh, dear. Okay. God make your majesty joyful as you have been. The Countess Richmond, good my lord of Darby, to your good prayers will, will scarcely say amen. Yet, Darby, notwithstanding, she's your wife and loves not me, be you, good Lord, assured, I hate not you for her proud arrogance. I do beseech you, either not believe the envious slander of her false accusers, or if she be accused in true report, bear with her weakness, which I think proceeds from wayward sickness and no grounded malice. Saw you the king today, my lord of Derby? But now the Duke of Buckingham and I are come from visiting his majesty. What likelihood of his amendment, lords? Madam, good hope. His grace speaks cheerfully. God grant him health. Did you confer with him? Madam, we did. He desires to make atonement betwixt the Duke of Gloucester and your brothers, and betwixt them and my Lord Chamberlain, and sent to warn them of his royal presence. Would all were well. But that will never be. I fear our happiness is at the highest. Enter Gloucester, Hastings, and Dorset. They do me wrong, and I will not endure it. Who are they that complain unto the king that I, forsooth, am stern and love them not? By holy Paul, they love his grace, but lightly that fill his ears with such dissentuous rumors. Because I cannot flatter and speak fair, smile in men's faces, smooth, deceive, and cog. 
duck with French nods and apish courtesy, I must be held a rancorous enemy. Cannot a plain man live and think no harm, but thus his simple truth must be abused by silken, sly, insinuating jacks. To whom in all this presence speaks, your grace? To thee, that hast nor honesty nor grace. When have I injured thee? When done thee wrong? Or thee, or thee, or any of your faction? A plague upon you all. His royal person, whom God preserved better than you would wish, cannot be quiet, scarce a breathing while, but you must trouble him with lewd complaints. Brother of Gloucester, you mistake the matter. The king of his own royal disposition and not provoked by any suitor else, aiming belike at your interior hatred, which in your outward actions shows itself against my kindred, brothers, and myself, makes him to send, that thereby he may gather the ground of your ill will and so remove it. Hmm. I cannot tell. The world is grown so bad that wrens make prey where eagles dare not perch. Since every jack became a gentleman, there's many a gentle person made a jack. Come, come, we know your meaning, Brother Gloucester. You envy my advancement and my friends. God grant we may never have need of you. Meantime, God grants that we have need of you. Your brother is imprisoned by your means, myself disgraced, and the nobility held in contempt, whilst many fair promotions are daily given to ennoble those that scarce some two days since were worth a noble. By him that raised me to this careful height from that contented hap which I enjoyed, I never did incense his majesty against the Duke of Clarence, but have been an earnest advocate to plead for him. My lord, you do me shameful injury, falsely to draw me in these vile suspects. Hmm. You may deny that you were not the cause of my lord Hastings' late imprisonment. She may, my lord, for she's... She may, Lord Rivers. Why, who knows not so? She may do more, sir, than denying that. She may help you to many fair performance, and then deny her aiding hand therein, and lay those honors on your high desserts. Deserts. Deserts. What may she not? She may, yea, Mary, may she. What Mary may she? What Mary may she? Mary with the king, a bachelor, a handsome stripling too. I wish your grandam had a worser match. My lord of Gloucester, I have too long borne your blunt upbraidings and your bitter scoffs. By heaven, I will acquaint his majesty with those gross taunts I often have endured. I had rather be a country servant maid than a great queen with this condition to be thus taunted, scorned, and baited at. Enter Queen Margaret behind. Small joy have I in being England's queen. And lesson be that small god, I beseech thee. Thy honor, state, and seat is due to me. What? Threat you me with telling of the king? Tell him, and spare not. Look what I have said. I will avouch in presence of the king. I dare adventure to be sent to the tower. Tis time to speak. My pains are quite forgot. How devil, I remember them too well. Thou slewest my husband Henry in the tower, and Edward, my poor son, at Tewkesbury. Uh, ere you were king, yea, 
or your husband king. I was a pack horse in his great affairs, a weeder out of his proud adversaries, a liberal rewarder of his friends. To royalize his blood, I spilt mine own. Yea, and much better blood than his or thine. In all which time you and your husband, Grey, were factious for the house of Lancaster. And Rivers, so were you. Was not your husband in Margaret's battle at St. Albans slain? Let me put it in your minds if you forgot what you have been ere now and what you are. With all what I have been and what I am. A murderous villain, and so still thou art. Poor Clarence did forsake his father Warwick, yea, and forswore himself, which Jesu pardon. Which God revenge? To fight on Edward's party for the crown. And for his meed, poor Lord, he is mewed up. I would to God my heart were flint, like Edward's, or Edward's soft and pitiful like mine. I am too childish foolish for this world. Hie thee to hell for shame and leave the world, thou cacodemon, there thy kingdom is. My lord of Gloucester, in those busy days which here you urge to prove us enemies, we followed then our lord, our lawful king. So should we you, if you should be our king. <laughs> if I should be, I, I had rather be a peddler, far be it from my heart, the thought of it. As little joy, my lord, as you suppose you should enjoy were you this country's king, as little joy may you suppose in me that I enjoy, being the queen thereof. And little joy enjoys the queen thereof, for I am she, and altogether joyless. I can no longer hold me patient. Hear me, you wrangling pirates that fall out in sharing what you have pilled from me. Which of you trembles not that looks on me? If not, that I being queen, you bow like subjects. Yet that by you deposed, you quake like rebels. Oh, gentle villain, do not turn away. Ow, wrinkled witch, what makest thou in my sight? But repetition of what thou hast marred, that will I make before I let thee go. Wert thou not banished on pain of death? I was, but I do find more pain in banishment than death can yield me here by my abode. A husband and a son thou owest to me, and thou a kingdom, all of you allegiance. The sorrow that I have by right is yours, and all the pleasures you usurp are mine. The curse my noble father laid on thee, when thou didst crown his warlike brows with paper, and with thy scorns drewest rivers from his eyes, and then, to dry them, gavest the duke a clout, steeped in the faultless blood of pretty Rutland. His curses, then from bitterness of soul, denounced against thee, are all fallen upon thee. And God, not we, hath played thy bloody deed. So just is God to right the innocent. Oh, t'was the foulest deed to slay that babe, and the most merciless that e'er was heard of. Tyrants themselves wept when it was reported. No man but prophesied revenge for it. Northumberland, then present, wept to see it. What? Were you snarling all before I came, ready to catch each other by the throat and turn you all your hatred now on me? Did York's dread curse prevail so much with heaven that Henry's death, my lovely Edward's death, their kingdom's loss, my woeful banishment could all but answer for that peevish brat? Can curses pierce the clouds and enter heaven? Why then, give way, dull clouds, to my quick curses. If not by war, 
by surfeit die your king, as ours by murder to make him a king. Edward, thy son, which now is Prince of Wales, for Edward, my son, which was Prince of Wales, die in his youth by like untimely violence. Thyself a queen, for me that was a queen, outlive thy glory like my wretched self. Long mayst thou live to wail thy children's loss, and see another as I see thee now, decked in thy rights, as thou art stalled in mine. Long die thy happy days before thy death, and after many lengthened hours of grief, die neither, neither mother, wife, nor England's queen. Rivers in Dorset, you were standers by, and so wast thou, Lord Hastings, when my son was stabbed with bloody daggers. God, I pray him that none of you may live your natural age, but by some unlooked accident cut off. Have done thy charm, thou hateful withered hag. And leave out thee. Stay, dog, for thou shalt hear me. If heaven have any grievous plague in store, exceeding those that I can wish upon thee, oh, let them keep it till thy sins be ripe, and then hurl down their indignation on thee, the troubler of the poor world's peace. The worm of conscience still benaw thy soul. Thy friends suspect for traitors while thou livest, and take deep traitors for thy dearest friends. No sleep close up thy that deadly eye of thine, unless it be whilst some tormenting dream affrights thee with a hell of ugly devils. Thou elvish-marked, abortive, rooting hog, thou, thou that was sealed in thy nativity, the slave of nature and the son of hell, thou slander of thy mother's heavy womb, thou loathed issue of thy father's loins, thou rag of honor, thou detested... Margaret. Richard! Ha! I call thee not. I cry thee mercy then, for I had thought that thou hadst called me all these bitter names. Why, so I did, but I looked for no reply. Oh, let me make the period of my curse. Tis done by me, and ends in Margaret. Thus have you breathed your curse against yourself. Poor painted queen, vain flourish of my fortune. Why stirs thou sugar on that bottled spider, whose deadly web ensnareth thee about? Fool, fool, thou wetst a knife to kill thyself. The time will come when thou shalt wish for me to help thee curse that poisonous bunchback toad. Pulse boding woman, end thy frantic curse. Lest thy harm thou move our patience. Foul shame upon you. You have all moved mine. Were you well served, you would be taught your duty. To serve me well, you should all do me duty. Teach me to be your queen and you my subjects. Oh, serve me well and teach yourselves that duty. Oh, dispute not with her. She is lunatic. Peace, Master Marcus. You are malapert. Your fire-new stamp of honor is scarce current. Oh, that your young nobility could judge what twere to lose it and be miserable. They that stand high have many blasts to shake them, and if they fall, they dash themselves to pieces. Good counsel. Mary, learn it. Learn it, Marcus. It toucheth you, my lord, as much as me. Yea, and much more. But I was born so high... Our airy buildeth in the cedar's top, and dallies with the winds and scorns the sun. And turns the sun to shade, alas, alas. Witness, my son, now in the shade of death, whose bright outshining beams thy cloudy wrath hath in eternal darkness folded up. Your airy buildeth in our airy's nest. O God, that seest it, do not suffer it. As it was one with blood, lost be it so. Have done, for shame, if not for charity. Urged neither sh- charity nor shame to me. Uncharitably have you have me 
Ah, uncharitably with me have you dealt, and shamefully by you my hopes are butchered. My charity is outrage, life my shame, and in that shame still live my sorrow's rage. Have done, have done! Oh, princely Buckingham, I'll kiss thy hand, in sign of league and amity with thee. Now fair befall thee and thy noble house. Thy garments are not spotted with our blood, nor thou within the compass of my curse. Nor no one here, for curses never pass the lips of those that breathe them in the air. I'll not believe but they ascend the sky, and there awake God's gentle sleeping peace. O Buckingham, take heed of yonder dog. Look, when he fawns, he bites, and when he bites, his his venom tooth will rankle to the death. Have not to do with him. Beware of him. Sin, death, and hell have set their marks on him, and all their ministers attend on him. Uh, What doth she say, my lord of Buckingham? Nothing that I respect, my gracious lord. What? Dost thou scorn me for my gentle counsel, and soothe the devil that I warn thee from? But remember this another day, when he shall split thy very heart with sorrow, and say poor Margaret was a prophetess. Live each of you to the subjects to his hate, and he to yours, and all of you to God's. Exit. My hair doth stand on end to hear her curses. So doth mine. Amuse why she's at liberty. I cannot blame her. My God's holy mother, she hath had too much wrong. And I repent my part thereof that I have done to her. I never did her any, to my knowledge. But you have all the vantage of her wrong. I was too hot and to do somebody good. That is too cold in thinking of it now. Mary, as for Clarence, he is well repaid. He is franked up to fatting for his pains. God pardon them that are the cause of it. A virtuous and a Christian-like conclusion to pray for them that have done scathe to us. So do I ever. Being well advised, for had I cursed now, I had cursed myself. Enter Catesby. Madam, his majesty doth call for you, and for you, my grace, and you, my noble lords. Catesby, we come. Lords, will you go with us? Madam, we will attend your grace. Exempt all but gloss. I do the wrong, and first begin to brawl. The secret mischiefs that I set abroach I lay unto the grievous charge of others. Clarence, whom I indeed have laid in darkness, I do beweep to many simple gulls, namely to Hastings, Derby, Buckingham, and say it is the queen and her allies that stir the king against the duke, my brother. Now, they believe it, and withal weigh me to be revenged on rivers, Vaughan, Gray. But then I saw, and with a piece of scripture tell them that God bids us do good for evil. And thus I clothe my naked villainy with old odd ends stolen out of holy writ and seem a saint when most I play the devil. Enter two murderers. But soft, here come my executioners. How now, my hardy, stout, resolved mates? Are you now going to dispatch the steed? We are, my lord and come to have the warrant that we may be admitted where he is. Well thought upon. I have it here about me. Giving him the warrant. When you have done, repair to Crosby Place. But sirs, be sudden in the execution. With all obdurate, do not hear him plead. For Clarence is well spoken, and perhaps may move your hearts to pity if you mark him. Tush, fear not, my lord. 
We will not stand to prate. Talkers are no good doers. Be assured we come to use our hands and not our tongues. Your eyes drop millstones when fools' eyes drop tears. I like you, lads. About your business straight. Go. Go dispatch. We will, my noble lord. Exit. Scene four, London the Tower. Enter Clarence and Brackenberry. Why looks your grace so heavily today? I have passed a miserable night, so full of ugly sights, of ghastly dreams, that I, as I am a Christian faithful man, I would not spend another such a night, though Torah to buy a world of happy days, so full of dismal terror was the time. What was your dream? I longed to hear you tell it. Methoughts that I had broken from the tower, and was embarked to cross to Burgundy. And in my company, my brother Gloucester, who from my cabin tempted me to walk upon the hatches. Thence we looked toward England, sighted up a thousand fearful times during the wars of York and Lancaster that had befallen us. As we paced along upon the giddy footing of the hatches, methought that Gloucester stumbled and in falling struck me that thought to stay him overboard into the tumbling billows of the main. Lord, Lord, me thought what pain it was to drown, what dreadful noise of waters in mine ears, what ugly sights of death went in mine eyes. I thought I saw a thousand fearful wrecks, ten thousand men that fishes gnawed upon, wedges of gold, great anchors, heaps of pearl, inestimable stones, unvaluable jewels, all scattered in the bottom of the sea. Some lay in dead men's skulls. And in those holes where eyes did once inhabit, there were crept as twere and scorn of eyes reflecting gems, which wooed the slimy bottom of the deep and mocked the dead bones that lay scattered by. Had you such leisure in the time of death to gaze upon the secrets of the deep? Methought I had, and often did I strive to yield the ghost. But still, the envious flood kept in my soul and would not let it forth to seek the empty, vast, and wandering air, but smothered it within my panting bulk, which almost burst to belch it in the sea. Awaked you not with this sore agony? No. Oh no, my dream was lengthened after life. Oh, then began the tempest to my soul who passed me thought in the melancholy flood with that grim ferryman which poets write of um, unto the kingdom of perpetual night, the first that there did greet my stranger soul was my great father-in-law, renowned Warwick, who cried aloud, what scourge for perjury can this dark monarchy afford false Clarence? And so he vanished. Then came wandering by a shadow like an angel with bright hair dabbled in blood, and he squeaked aloud, Clarence has come, false, fleeting, perjured Clarence that stabbed me in the field by Tewkesbury. Seize on him, furies, take him to your torments. With that, methought a legion of foul fiends environed me about and howled in mine ears such hideous cries that with the very noise I trembling waked. For a season after, could not believe that I was in hell. Such terrible impression made the dream. 
No marvel, my lord, so it affrighted you. I promise I am afraid to hear you tell it. Oh, Brackenbury, I have done these things, which now bear evidence against my soul, for Edward's sake. And see how he requites me. God, if my deep prayers cannot appease thee, that thou wilt be avenged on my misdeeds, yet execute thy wrath in me alone. Spare my guiltless wife and my poor children. I pray thee, gentle keeper, stay by me. My soul is heavy, and I fain would sleep. I will, my lord. God give your grace good rest. Clarence sleeps. Sorrow breaks season and reposing hours makes the night morning and the noontide night. Princes have but their tides for their glories and outward honor for an inward toil. And for unfelt imagination, they often feel a world of restless cares, so that betwixt their tides and low names, there's nothing differs but the outward fame. Enter two murderers. Ho, who's here? In God's name, what are you and how came you hither? I would speak with Clarence, and I came hither on my legs. Yea, are you so brief? Oh, sir, it is better to be brief than tedious. Show him our commission, talk no more. Brackenberry reads it. I am in this commanded to deliver the noble Duke of Clarence to your hands. I will not reason what is meant hereby, because I will be guiltless of the meaning. Here are the keys. There sits the Duke asleep. Alter the king and signify to him that thus I have resigned my charge to you. Do so. It is a point of wisdom. Fare you well. Exit Brackenberry. What? Shall we stab him as he sleeps? No. Then he will say it was done cowardly when he wakes. When he wakes? Why, fool, he shall never wake till the judgment day. Why, then he will say we stabbed him sleeping. The urging of that word judgment hath bred a kind of remorse in me. What, are thou afraid? Not to kill him, having a warrant for it, but to be damned for killing him, for which no warrant can defend us. I thought that house has been resolute. So I am, to let him live. Back to the Duke of Gloucester, tell him so. I pray thee, stay a while. I hope my holy humor will change. T'was wont to hold me, but while one could tell twenty. How dost thou feel thyself now? Faith, some certain dregs of conscience are yet within me. Remember our reward when the deed is done. Zounds, he dies. I had forgot the reward. Where is thy conscience now? In the Duke of Gloucester's purse. So when he opened his purse to give us a reward, thy conscience flies out. Let it go. There's few or none will entertain it. How if it come to thee again? I'll not meddle with it. It is a dangerous thing. It makes a man a coward. A man cannot steal, but it accuseth him. He cannot swear, but it checks him. He cannot lie with his neighbor's wife, but it detects him. Tis a blushing, shamefast spirit that mutinies in a man's bosom. 
It fills one full of obstacles. It made me once restore a purse of gold that I found. It beggars any man that keeps it. It is turned out all, of all towns and cities for a dangerous thing. And every man that means to live well endeavors to trust to himself and to live without it. Zounds, it is even now at my elbow, persuading me not to kill the duke. Take the devil in thy mind and leave him not. He would insinuate with thee, but to make thee sigh. Tut, I am strong-framed. He cannot prevail with me, I warrant thee. Spoke like a tale fell that respects his reputation. Come, shall we to this gear? Take him over the costard with the hilts of thy sword, and then we will chop him in the Malmsley butt in the next room. Oh, excellent device. Make a sop of him. Hark, he stirs. Shall I strike? No, no. Uh, first, let's reason with him. Where art thou, keeper? Give me a cup of wine. You shall have wine enough, my lord, anon. In God's name, what art thou? A man, as you are. But not as I am royal. Nor you, as we are, loyal. My voice is thunder, but thy looks are humble. My voice is now the king's. My looks, my own. How darkly and how deadly dost thou speak? Your eyes do menace me. Why look you pale? Who sent you hither? Wherefore do you come? To, uh, to, 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 mur- to murder me? I, 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 you scarcely have the hearts to tell me so, and therefore cannot have the hearts to do it. Wherein, my friends, have I offended you? Offended us you have not, but the king. I shall be reconciled to him again. Never, my lord, therefore prepare to die. Are you called forth from out a world of men to slay the innocent? What is my offense? Where are the evidence that thou, that do accuse me? What lawful quest have given their verdict up unto the frowning judge? Or who pronounced the bitter sentence of poor Clarence's death? Before I be convict by course of law, to threaten me with death is most unlawful. I charge you, as you hope to have redemption by Christ's dear blood shed for our grievous sins, that you depart and lay no hands on me, the deed you undertake is damnable. What we will do, we do upon command. And he that hath commanded is the king. Erroneous vassal, the great king of kings, hath in the tables of his law commanded that thou shalt do no murder. And wilt thou then spurn at his edict and fulfill a man's? Take heed, for he holds vengeance in his hands to hurl upon their heads that break his law. And that same vengeance doth he hurl on thee, for false, for swearing, and for murder, too. Thou didst receive the holy sacraments to fight in quarrel of the house of Lancaster. And, like a traitor to the name of God, didst break that vow, and with thy treacherous blade unrips the bowels of thy sovereign son. Whom thou wert sworn to cherish and defend. How canst thou urge God's dreadful law to us, when thou hast broke it in so dear degree? Alas, for whose sake did I that ill deed? 
for Edward, for my brother, for his sake. Why, sirs, he sends you not to murder me for this, for in this sin he is as deep as I. If God will be revenged for this deed, oh, know you yet he doth it publicly. Take not the quarrel from his powerful arm. He needs no indirect nor lawless course to cut off those that have offended him. Who made thee, then, a bloody minister, when gallant springing brave Plantagenet, that princely novice, was struck dead by thee? My brother's love, the devil, and my rage. Thy brother's love, our duty, and thy fault, provoke us hither now to slaughter thee. If you love my brother, hate not me. I am his brother, and I love him well. If you be hired from Mead, go back again, and I will send you to my brother Gloucester, who shall reward you better for my life than Edward will for tidings of my death. You are deceived. Your brother Gloucester hates you. No, no, no. He loves me, and he holds me dear. Go you to him from me. Aye. Aye. So we, so we will. Tell him that when our princely father York blessed his three sons with his victorious arm and charged us from his soul to love each other, he little thought of this divided friendship. Did Gloucester think of this, and, and he will weep. I millstones, as we lessened us to weep. Do not slander him, for he is kind. Right, as snow and harvest. Thou deceivest thyself. Tis he that sent us hither now to slaughter thee. It cannot be. For when I parted with him, he hugged me in his arms and swore with sobs that he would labor my delivery. Why, so he doth. Now he delivers thee from this world's thraldom to the joys of heaven. Make peace with God, for you must die, my lord. Hast thou that holy feeling in thy soul to counsel me to make my peace with God? And art thou yet to thine own soul so blind that thou wilt war with God by murdering me? Sirs, consider... He that set you on to do this deed will hate you for the deed. What shall we do? Relent and save your souls. Relent? Tis cowardly and womanish. Not to relent is beastly, savage, savage, devilish. Which of you, if you were a prince's son, being penned from liberty as I am now, if two such murderers as yourselves came to you, would not entreat for life. My friend, my friend, I spy some pity in thy looks. Oh, if thine eye be not a flatterer, come thou on my side and entreat for me. As you would beg, were you in my distress, a begging prince, what beggar pities not. Look behind you, my lord. Take that and that, if all this will not do. Stabs him. I'll drown you in the Malmsey butt within. Exits with the body. A bloody deed, and desperately dispatched. How fain, like Pilate, would I wash my hands of this most grievous guilty murder done. Re-enter first murderer. How now? What meanst thou, that thou helps me not? By heavens, the duke shall know how slack thou art. I would he knew that I had saved his brother. Take thou the fee, and tell him what I say, for I repent me that the duke is slain. Exit. 
So do not I. Go, coward as thou art. Now must I hide his body in some hole until the duke take order for his burial. And when I have my mead, I must away, for this will out, and here I must not stay. Act two, scene one, London, the palace, flourish, enter King Edward the fourth, sick, Queen Elizabeth, Dorset, Rivers, Hastings, Buckingham, Gray, and others. Why so? Now have I done a good day's work. You peers, continue this united league. I every day expect an embassage from my Redeemer to redeem me hence. (laughs) And now in peace, my soul shall part to heaven. Since I have set my friends at peace on earth. Rivers and Hastings, take each other's hand. Dissemble not your hatred. Swear your love. By heaven, my heart is purged from grudging hate. With my hand, I seal my true heart's love. So thrive I, as I truly swear the like. But take heed, you dally not before your king, lest he that is the supreme king of kings confound your hidden falsehood and award either of you to be the other's end. So prosper I, as I swear perfect love. And I, as I love Hastings with my heart. Madam, yourself are not exempt in this, nor you, son Dorset, Buckingham, nor you. You have been factious one against the other. Uh, wife, Lord Hastings, let him, uh, wife, love, Lord Hastings, let him kiss your hand. And what you do, do it unfeignedly. Here, Hastings, I will never more remember our former hatred, so thrive I and mine. Dorset, embrace him. Hastings, love Lord Marquis. This interchange of love, I hear protest, upon my part shall be unviable. And so swear I, my lord. They embrace. Now, princely Buckingham, seal thou this league with thy embracements to my wife's allies, and make me happy in your unity. Whenever Buckingham doth turn his hate on you or yours, but with all duteous love doth cherish you and yours, God punish me with hate in those where I expect most love. When I have most need to employ a friend and most assured that he is a friend, deep, hollow, treacherous, full of guile, but he be he unto me. This I do beg of God when I am cold in zeal to yours. Pleasing, cordial, princely Buckingham, is this thy vow unto my (coughs) sickly heart? There wanteth now our brother Gloucester here to make the perfect period of this peace. And in good time, here comes the noble duke. Enter Gloucester. Good morrow to my sovereign king and queen, and princely peers, a happy time of day. Happy indeed as we have spent the day. Brother, we've done deeds of charity. Made peace, enmity, fair love, hate, between these swelling, wrong-incensed peers. A blessed labor, 
my most sovereign liege. Amongst this princely heap, if any here by false intelligence or wrong surmise hold me a foe, if I unwittingly or in my rage have aught committed that is hardly borne by any in this presence, I desire to reconcile me to his friendly peace. Tis death to me to be at enmity. I hate it and desire all good men's love. First, madam, I entreat true peace of you, which I will purchase with my duteous service. Of you, my noble cousin Buckingham, if ever any grudge were lodged between us, of you, Lord Rivers, and Lord Grey, of you, that without desert have frowned upon me, dukes, earls, lords, gentlemen, indeed of all, I do not know that Englishman alive with whom my soul is any jot at odds, more than the infant that is born tonight. I thank my God for my humility. A holy day shall this be kept hereafter. I would to God all strifes were well compounded. My sovereign liege, I do beseech your majesty to take our brother Clarence to your grace. Why, madam, have I offered love for this to be so bowed in this royal presence? Who knows not that the noble duke is dead? They all start. You do him injury to scorn his course. Who knows not he is dead? Who knows he is? All seeing heaven, what a world is this? Look I so pale, Lord Dorset, as the rest? Aye, my good lord, and no one in this presence but his red color hath forsook his cheeks. Parents dead. The order was reversed. But he, poor soul, by your first order died, and that a winged mercury did bear. Some tardy cripple bore the counterman that came too, la- too lag to see him buried. God grant that some less noble and less loyal, nearer in bloody thoughts, but not in blood, deserve not worse than wretched Clarence did, and yet go current from suspicion. Enter Darby. A boon. My sovereign, for my service done. Pray thee peace. My soul is full of sorrow. I will not rise unless your highness grant. Yes, then speak at once. What is it thou demandst? The forfeit, sovereign, of my servant's life, who slew today a, ri- a righteous gentleman lately attendant on the Duke of Norfolk. Have I a tongue to doom my brother's death? And shall the same give pardon to a slave? My brother slew no man. His fault was thought. And yet his punishment was cruel death. Who sued to me for him? Who in my rage kneeled at my feet and bade me be advised? Who spake of brotherhood? Who spake of love? Who told me how the poor soul did forsake the mighty Warwick and did fight for me? Who told me in the field by Tewkesbury when Oxford had me down, he rescued me and said, dear brother, live and be a king. Who told me when he, we both lay in the field, frozen almost to death, how he did lap me even in his own garments and gave himself all thin and naked to the numb cold night. All this, from my remembrance, brutish wrath sinfully plucked, and not a man of you had so much grace to put it in my mind. 
But when your carters or your waiting vassals have done a drunken slaughter and defaced the precious image of our dear Redeemer, you're straight on your knees for pardon, pardon. And I unjustly too must grant it you, but for my brother, not a man would speak. Nor I ungracious speak unto myself for him, poor soul. The proudest of you all have been beholding to him in his life. Yet none of you would once plead for his life. God, I fear thy justice will take hold on me and you and mine and yours for this. Come, Hastings, help me to my closet. <coughs> Poor Clarence. Exunt some with King Edward, Edward the Fourth and uh, Queen Elizabeth. This is the fruit of rashness. Marked you not how the guilty kindred of the queen looked pale when they did hear of Clarence's death? Oh, they did urge it still unto the king. God will revenge it. But come, let us in to comfort Edward with our company. We wait upon your grace. Exit. Scene two, the palace, and to the Duke of York with two children of Clarence. Tell me, good grandam, is our father dead? No, boy. Why do you wring your hands and beat your breast and cry, Oh, Clarence, my unhappy son? Why do you look on us and shake your head and call us wretches, orphans, castaways, if that our noble father be alive? My pretty cousins, you mistake me much. I do lament the sickness of the king, as loath to lose him, not your father's death. It were lost sorrow to wail one that's lost. Then, Grandam, you conclude that he is dead. The king, my uncle, is to blame for this. God will revenge it, whom I will importune with daily prayers all to that effect. And so will I. Peace, children, peace. The king doth love you well. Incapable and shallow innocence, you cannot guess who caused your father's death. Grandam, we can! For my good uncle Gloucester told me the king, provoked by the queen, devised impeachments to imprison him. And when my uncle told me so, he wept and hugged me in his arm and kindly kissed my cheek, bade me rely on him as my father, and he would love me dearly as his child. Oh, that deceit should steal such gentle shapes, and with a virtuous vizard hide foul guile. He is my son, yea, and therein my shame. Yet from my dugs he drew not this deceit. Think you my uncle did dissemble, Grandam? Aye, boy. I cannot think it. Hark, what noise is this? Enter Queen Elizabeth with her hair about her ears, River in Dorset after her. Oh, who shall hinder me to wail and weep, to chide my fortune and torment myself? I'll join with black despair against my soul and to myself become an enemy. What means the scene of rude impatience? To make an act of tragic violence. Edward, my lord, your son, our king, is dead. Why grow the branches now the root is withered? Why wither not the leaves, the sap being gone? If you will live, lament. If die, be brief, that our swift-winged souls may catch the king's or like obedient subjects, follow him to his new kingdom of perpetual rest. 
So much interest have I in thy sorrow as I had a title in thy noble husband. I have bewept a worthy husband's death and lived by looking on his images. But now two mirrors of his princely semblance are cracked in pieces by malignant death, and I for comfort have but one false glass, which grieves me when I see my shame in him. Thou art a widow, yet thou art a mother, and hast the comfort of thy children left thee. But death hath snatched my husband from mine arms, and plucked two crutches from my feeble limbs, Edward and Clarence. Oh, what cause have I, thine being but a moody of my grief, to overgo thy plaints and drown thy cries? Good aunt, you wept not for our father's death. How can we aid you with our kindred tears? Our fatherless distress was left unmoaned. Your widow dollar likewise be unwept. Give me no health in lamentation. I am not barren to bring forth complaints. All springs reduce their currents to mine eyes that I, being governed by the watery moon, may send forth plenteous tears to drown the world. Oh, for my husband, for my dear Lord Edward. Oh, for, oh, for our father, for our dear, dear Lord, Lord Clarence. Clarence. Alas, for both, both mine, Edward and Clarence. What stay had I but Edward, and he's gone? What, what stay had I but Clarence? Clarence? And, and he's gone. gone. What stays had I but they? And they are gone. Was never widow had so dear a loss. Was never, never orphan had so had dear a loss. Was never mother had so dear a loss? Alas, I am the mother of these moans. Their woes are parceled, mine are general. She for an Edward weeps and so do I. I for a Clarence weep, so doth not she. These babes for Clarence weep, and so do I. I for an Edward weep, so do not they. Alas, you three on me, threefold distressed, pour all your tears. I am your sorrow's nurse, and I will pamper it with lamentations. Comfort, dear mother. God is much displeased that you take with unthankfulness his doing. In common worldly things, tis called ungrateful, with dull unwillingness to repay a debt with which a bounteous hand was kindly lent. Much more to be thus opposite with heaven, for it requires the royal debt it lent you. Madam, bethink you, like a careful mother of the young prince your son, send straight for him, let him be crowned, in him your comfort lives, drown desperate sorrow in dead Edward's grave and plant your joys in living Edward's throne. Enter Gloucester, Buckingham, Darby, Hastings, and Ratcliffe. Madam, have comfort. All of us have cause to wail the dimming of our shining star, but none can cure their harms by wailing them. Madam, my mother, I do cry you mercy. I did not see your grace. Humbly on my knee I crave your blessing. God bless thee and put meekness in thy mind, love, charity, obedience, and true duty. Amen. And make me die a good old man. That is the butt-end of a mother's blessing. I, mar- I marvel why her grace did leave it out. You cloudy princes and heart-soaring peers that bear this mutual heavy load of moan, now cheer each other in each other's love. Though we have spent our harvest of this king, we are to reap the harvest of his son. 
the broken rancor of your high-swollen hearts, but lately splintered, knit, and joined together, must gently be preserved, cherished, and kept. It seemeth good that with some little train, forthwith from Ludlow, the young prince be fetched hither to London to be crowned our king. Why with some little train, my lord of Buckingham? Mary, my lord, lest by a multitude the new healed wound of malice should break out, which would be so much more dangerous by how much the estate is green and yet ungoverned, where every horse bears his commanding rein and may direct his course as please himself, as well the fear of harm as harm apparent, in my opinion, ought to be prevented. I hope the king made peace with all of us, and the compact is firm and true in me. And so in me, and so, I think, in all. Yet since it is, since it is but green, it should be put to no apparent likelihood of breach, which haply by much company might be urged. Therefore I say with noble Buckingham, that is to meet so few should fetch the prince. And so say I. Then be it so. And go we to determine who they shall be in that strait shall post to Ludlow. Madam, and you, my mother, will you go to give your censures to, the, to this weighty business? With, With all, all our hearts. Extend all but Buckingham and Gloucester. My lord, whoever journeys to the prince, for God's sake, let not us two be behind. For, by the way, all sort occasion, as index to the story we late talked of, to part the queen's proud kindred from the king. My other self, my counsel's consistory, my oracle, my prophet, my dear cousin, I, like a child, will go by thy direction. Towards Ludlow, then, for we'll not stay behind. Exit. Scene three, London, a street, enter two citizens meeting. Mm. Sorry. <sighs> Neighbor, well met. Wither away so fast. I promise you, I scarcely know myself. Hear you the news abroad? Aye, that the king is dead. Bad news, by your lady. Seldom comes the better. I fear, I fear it will prove a troublous world. Enter another citizen. Neighbors, Godspeed. Give you good morrow, sir. Doth this news hold of good King Edward's death? Aye, sir, it is too true. God help the while. Then, masters, look to see a troublous world. No, no, by God's good grace, his son shall reign. Woe to the land that's governed by a child. In him there is a hope of government, that in his nonage counsel under him, and in his full and ripened years himself, no doubt, shall then, until then, govern well. So stood the state when Henry the Sixth was crowned in Paris, but at nine months old. Stood the state so? No, no, good friends. God wot, for this, for then this land was famously enriched with politic, with politic grave counsel. Then the king had virtuous uncles to protect his grace. Why, so hath this both by the father and mother. Better it were they all came by the father, or by the father there were none at all. For emulation now, who shall be nearest? Will touch us all too near if God prevent not. Oh, full of dangers, the Duke of Gloucester, and the, son, and the Queen's sons and brothers, hot and proud, and were they to be ruled and not to rule, the sickly land might solace as before. Come, come, we fear the worst. All shall be well. When clouds appear, wise men put on their cloaks. 
when great leaves fall, the winter is at hand. When the sun sets, who doth not look for night? Untimely storms make men expect a dearth. All may be well, but if God sort it so, tis more than we deserve or I expect. Truly, the souls of men are full of dread. You cannot reason almost with a man that looks not heavily and full of fear. Before the times of change, still it is so. By divine instinct, men's minds mistrust ensuing dangers. As by proof, we see the waters swell before a boisterous storm. But leave it all to God. Whither away? Mary, we were sent for to the justices. And so was I. I'll bear you company. Exempt. Scene four, London, the palace. Enter the Archbishop of York, young York, Queen Elizabeth, and the Duchess of York. Last night, I hear, they lay at Northampton. At Stony Stratford, will they be tonight? Tomorrow or next day, they will be here. I long with all my heart to see the prince. I hope he is much grown since last I saw him. But I hear, no, they say my son of York hath almost overtaken him in his growth. I mother, but I would not have it so. Why, my young cousin, is it, it is good to grow. Grandam, one night, as we did sit at supper, my uncle Rivers talked how I did grow more than my brother. I, quoth my uncle Gloucester, small herbs have grace, great weeds do grow apace. And since methinks I would not grow so fast, because sweet flowers are slow and weeds make haste. Could faith good faith the same did not hold in him that did object the same to thee he was the wretchedest thing when he was young so long a growing and so leisurely that if this rule were true he should be gracious why madam so no doubt he is i hope he is but yet let mothers doubt now by my troth if i had been remembered i could have given my uncle's grace a flout to touch his growth nearer than he touched mine How, my pretty York, I pray thee, let me hear it. Mary, they say my uncle grew so fast that he could not crust at two hours old. T'was full two years ere I could get a tooth. Grandam, this would have been a biting jest. I pray thee, pretty York, who told thee thee this? Grandam, his nurse. His nurse? Why, she was dead ere thou wert born. If t'were not she, I cannot tell you who told me. Harless boy, go to, you are too shrewd. Good madam, be not angry with the child. Pitchers have ears. Enter a messenger. Oh, here comes a messenger. What news? Such news, my lord, as grieves me to unfold. How fares the prince? Well, madam, and in good health, and in health. What is thy news, then? Lord Rivers and Lord Grey are sent to Pomfret, with them Sir Thomas Vaughan, prisoners. Who hath committed them? The mighty Dukes Gloucester and Buckingham. For what offense? The sum of all I can I have disclosed. Why or for what these nobles were committed is all unknown to me, my gracious lady. Ay, me. I see the downfall of our house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jet upon the innocent and aweless throne. Welcome, destruction, death, and massacre. I see, as in a map, the end of all. 
cursed and unquiet wrangling days, how many of you have mine eyes beheld? My husband lost his life to get the crown, and often up and down my sons were tossed for me to joy and weep their gain and loss. And being seated in domestic broils clean overblown themselves, the conquerors, make war upon themselves, blood against blood, self against self. O oh, preposterous and frantic outrage, end thy damned spleen, or let me die to look on death no more. Come, come, my boy. We will to sanctuary. Madam, farewell. I'll go along with you. You have no cause. My gracious lady, go, and thither bear your treasure and your goods. For my part, I'll resign unto your grace the seal I keep. And so, betide to me as well, I tender you and all of yours. Come, I'll conduct you to the sanctuary. Exent. Act 3, Scene 1, London, a street, the trumpet sound. Enter the young Prince Edward, Gloucester, Buckingham, Cardinal, Catesby, and others. Welcome, sweet prince, to London, to your chamber. Welcome, dear cousin. My thoughts sovereign the weary way hath made you melancholy. Dear Prince. No, uncle, but our crosses on the way have made it tedious, wearisome, and heavy. I want more uncles here to welcome me. Sweet Prince, the untainted virtue of your years hath not yet dived into the world's deceit, nor more can you distinguish of a man than of his outward show, which God he knows seldom or never jumpeth with the heart. Those uncles which you want were dangerous. Your grace attended to their sugared words, but look not on the poison of their hearts. God keep you from them, and from such false friends. God keep me from false friends, but they were none. My lord, the mayor of London comes to greet you. Enter Lord Mayor in his train. God bless your grace with health and happy days. I thank you, good my lord, and thank you all. I thought my mother and my brother York would long ere this have met us on the way. Fie, what a slug is Hastings, that he comes not to tell us whether they will come or no. Enter Hastings. And in good time, here comes the sweating lord. Welcome, my lord. What, will our mother come? On what occasion, God he knows, not I, the queen your mother and your brother York have taken sanctuary. The tender prince would fain have come with me to meet your grace, but by his mother was perforce withheld. By what an indirect and peevish course is this of hers. Lord Cardinal, will your grace persuade the queen to send the Duke of York unto his princely brother presently? If she deny, Lord Hastings, go with him, and from her jealous arms pluck him perforce. My lord Buckingham, if my weak auditory can from his mother win the Duke of York, anon expect him here. But if she be obdurate to mild entreaties, God in heaven forbid we should infringe the holy privilege of blessed sanctuary. Not for all this land would I be guilty of so deep a sin. You are too senseless obstinate, my lord. Good. Ceremonious and traditional. Weigh it but with the grossness of this age. You break not sanctuary in seizing him. 
the benefit thereof is always granted to those whose dealings have deserved the place, and those who have the wit to claim their place. This prince hath neither claimed it nor deserved it, and therefore, in mine opinion, cannot have it. Then taking him from thence, that is not there. You break no privilege nor charter there. Oft have I heard of sanctuary men, but sanctuary children? Ne'er till now. Hmm. My lord, you shall overrule my mind for once. Come on, Lord Hastings. Will you go with me? I go, my lord. Good lords, make all the speedy haste you may. Exent Cardinal and Hastings. Say, Uncle Gloucester, if our brother come, where shall we sojourn until our coronation? (laughs) Where it seems best unto your royal self. If I may counsel you, some day or two your highness shall repose you at the tower. Then, where you please, and shall be thought most fit for your best health and recreation. I do not like the tower of any place. Did Julius Caesar build that place, my lord? He did, my gracious lord, begin that place, which since succeeding ages have re-edified. Is it upon record or or else reported success, successively from age to age he built it? Upon record, my gracious lord. Say, my lord, it were not registered. Methinks the truth should live from age to age as toward retail to all posterity, even to the general all-ending day. <laughs> so wise, so young, they say, do never live long. What say you, uncle? Uh, I say, without characters, fame lives long. Mm. Thus, like the formal vice. Iniquity, I moralize two meanings in one word. That Julius Caesar was a famous man. With what his valor did enrich his wit, his wit set down to make his valor live. Death makes no conquest of this conqueror, for now he lives in fame, though not in life. I'll tell you what, my cousin Buckingham. What, my gracious lord? And if I lived until I be a man... I'll win our ancient right in France again, or die a soldier as I lived a king. Short summers lightly have a forward spring. Enter young York Hastings and the Cardinal. Now in good time, here comes the Duke of York. Richard of York, how fares our loving brother? Well, my dread lord, so must I call you now. Aye, brother, to our grief as it is yours. Too late he died that might have kept that title, which by his death has lost much majesty. How fares our cousin, noble Lord of York? I thank Um, you, gentle uncle. Oh, my lord, you said that idle weeds are fast in growth. The prince my brother hath outgrown me far. He hath, my lord. And therefore is he idle? Oh, my fair cousin, I must not say so. Then is he more beholding to you than I? He may command me as my sovereign, but you have the power in me as in a kinsman. I pray you, uncle, give me this dagger. My my dagger, little cousin, with all my heart. Beggar brother? Of my kind uncle that I know will give, and being but a toy which is no grief to give. 
A greater gift than that I'll give my cousin. A greater gift? Oh, that's the sword to it. A gentle cousin, were it light enough. Oh, then I see you will part but with light gifts. In weightier things, you'll say a beggar nay. <laughs> it is too heavy for your grace to wear. I weigh it lightly, were it heavier. What? Would you have my weapon, little lord? I would, that I might thank you as you call me. <laughs> How? Little. My lord of York will still be cross in talk. Uncle, your grace knows how to bear with him. You mean to bear me, not to bear with me. <clears throat> Uncle, my brother mocks both you and me. Because that I am little, like an ape, he thinks that you should bear me on your shoulders. With what a sharp provided wit he reasons. To mitigate the scorn he gives his uncle, he prettily and aptly taunts himself. So cunning and so young is wonderful. My lord, will it please you pass along? Myself and my good cousin Buckingham will to your mother to entreat of her to meet you at the tower and welcome you. What, will you go unto the tower, my lord? My lord protector needs will have it so. I shall not sleep quiet at the tower. <laughs> Why? What should you fear? Mary, my uncle Clarence's angry ghost. My granddam told me he was murdered there. I fear no uncle's dead. Nor none that live, I hope. And if they live, I hope I need not fear. But come, my lord. And with a heavy heart, thinking on them, go I into the tower. A senate, exempt all but Gloucester, Buckingham, and Catesby. Thank you, my lord, this little prating York was not incensed by his subtle mother to taunt and scorn you thus opprobriously? No doubt, no doubt. Oh, tis a parlous boy. Bold, quick, ingenious, forward, capable, he is all the mothers, from the to top to toe. Well, let them rest. Come hither, Catesby. Thou art sworn as deeply to effect what we intend as closely to conceal what we impart. Thou know'st our reasons urged upon the way. What thinkst thou? Is it not an easy matter to make William Lord Hastings of our mind for the installment of this noble duke in the seat royal of this famous isle? He, for his father's sake, so loves the prince that he will not be one to aught against him. What thinkst thou, then, of Stanley? What will he? Uh, he will do all in all as Hastings doth. Well, then, no more but this. Go, gentle Catesby. And, as if it were far off sound, thou Lord Hastings, how doth he stand affected to our purpose? And summon him tomorrow to the tower to sit about the coronation. If thou dost find him tractable to us, encourage him and show him all our reasons. If he be leaden, icy cold, unwilling, be thou so too. And so break off your talk and give us notice of his inclination. For we tomorrow, oh, oh yeah, for we tomorrow hold divided counsels, wherein thyself shalt highly be employed. Commend me to Lord William. Tell him, Catesby, his ancient knot of dangerous adversaries tomorrow are let blood at Pomfret Castle. And bid my friend, for joy of this good news, give Mistress Shore one gentle kiss the more. Good, Catesby, go. Effect this business soundly. 
My good lords both, with all the heed I may. Shall we hear from you, Catesby, ere we sleep? You shall, my lord. At Crosby Place, there shall you find us both. Exit Catesby. Now, my lord, what shall we do? If we perceive Lord Hastings will not yield to our complots. <laughs> Chop off its head, man. Somewhat we will do. And look, when I am Kim, king, claim thou of me the earldom of Hereford, and the movables whereof the king my brother stood possessed. I'll claim that promise at your grace's hands. And look to have it yielded with all willingness. Come, let us sup betimes, and afterwards we may digest our complots in some form. Excellent. Scene two before Lord Hastings' house. Enter a messenger. What ho, my lord? Who knocks at the door? A messenger from the Lord Stanley. Enter Hastings. What o'clock is it? Upon the stroke of four. Cannot thy master sleep these tedious nights? So it should seem by that I have to say. First, he commends him to your noble lordship. And then? And then he sends you word. He dreamt tonight the boar had raised his helm. Besides, he says there are two councils held. And that may be determined at the one which may make you and him to rue at the other. Therefore, he sends to you, he sends to know your lordship's pleasure, if presently you will take horse with him and with all speed post with him toward the north to shun the danger that his soul divines. Go, fellow, go return unto thy lord. Bid him not fear the separated councils. His honor and myself are at the one, and at the other is my servant Catesby, where nothing can proceed that touches us, where I, wherefore I shall not have intelligence. Tell him his fears are shallow, wanting instance, and for his dreams, I wonder he is so fond to trust to the mockery of unquiet slumbers to fly the boar before the boar pursues. We're to incense the boar to follow us and make pursuit where he did mean no chase. Go, bid thy master rise and come to me, and we will both together to the tower, where he shall see the boar will use us kindly. My gracious lord, I'll tell him what you say. Exit, enter Catesby. Many good morrows to my noble lord. Good morrow, Catesby. You are early stirring. What news, what news in this our tottering state? It is a reeling world indeed, my lord, and I believe twill never stand upright till Richard wear the garland of the realm. How? Wear the garland? Does that mean the crown? Aye. My good lord. I'll have this crown of mine cut from my shoulders ere I will see the crown so foul misplaced. But canst thou guess that he doth aim at it? Aye, on my life, and hopes to find forward upon his party for the gain thereof. And thereupon he sends you this good news, this, uh, that this same very day your enemies, the kindred of the queen, must die at Pomfret. Indeed. I am no mourner for that news because they have been still mine enemies. But that I'll give my voice on Richard's side to bar my master's heirs is true descent. God knows I will not do it to the death. God keep your lordship in that gracious mind. But I shall laugh at this a twelve-month hence, that they who brought me in my master's hate, I live to look upon their tragedy. I tell thee, Catesby. What, my lord? Ere a fortnight make me elder, I'll send some packing that yet think not on it. 
It's a vile thing to die, my gracious lord, when men are unprepared and look not for it. Oh, monstrous, monstrous. And so falls it out with rivers, Vaughn and Grey. And so twill do with some men else who think themselves as safe as, as thou and I, who, as thou knowest, are dear to princely Richard and to Buckingham. The princes both make high account of you, for they account his head upon the bridge. I know they do. I have well deserved it. Enter Stanley. Come on, come on. Where is your boar spear, man? Fear you the boar and go so unprovided. <clears throat> My lord, good morrow. Good morrow, Catesby. You may jest on, but by the holy rood, I do not like these several counsels, I. My lord, I hold my life as dear as you do yours. And never in my life, I do protest, was it more precious to me than it is now. Think you, but that I know our state secure, I would be so triumphant as I am. The lords of Pomfret, when they rode from London, were jocund and supposed their state was sure. And they indeed had no cause to mistrust. But yet you see how soon the day or cast. This sudden stag of rancor I misdoubt. Pray God, I say, I prove a needless coward. What, shall we to the tower? The day is spent. Come, have with you. What you want, my lord? Today the lords you talk of are beheaded. They, for their truth, might better wear their heads than some that have accused them wear their hats. But come, my lord, let us away. Enter Pursuivant. Go on before. I'll talk with this good fellow. Exit Stanley and Catesby. How now, sirrah? How goes the world with thee? The better that your lordship please to ask. I tell thee, man, tis better with me now than when I met thee last where now we meet. Then was I going prisoner to the tower by the suggestion of the queen's allies. But now, I tell thee, keep it to thyself. This day, those enemies are put to death, and I in better state than e'er I was. God hold it to your honor's good content. Gramercy, fellow. There. Drink that for me. Throws him his purse. God save your lordship. Exit. Enter a priest. Well met, my lord. I am glad to see your honor. I thank thee, good Sir John, with all my heart. I am in your debt for your last exercise. Come the next Sabbath, and I will content you. He whispers in his ear. Enter Buckingham. What? Talking with a priest, Lord Chamberlain? Your friends at Pomfret, they do need the priest. Your honor hath no shriving work in hand. Good faith, and when I met this holy man... Those men you talk of came into my mind. What? Go you for uh, toward the tower? I do, my lord. But long I shall not stay. I shall return before your lordship thence. Tis like enough, for I stay dinner there. Supper too, although thou knowst it not. Come, will you go? I'll wait upon your lordship. Exit. Scene three, Pomfret Castle. Enter Ratcliffe with halberds carrying Rivers Grey and Vaughn to death. Come, bring forth the prisoners. Sir Richard Ratcliffe, let me tell thee this. Today shalt thou behold a subject die for truth, for duty, and for loyalty. God keep the prince from all the pack of you, and not you are of damned bloodsuckers. 
you live that shall cry woe for this after. Dispatch, the limit of your lives is out. Oh, Pomfret, Pomfret, oh, thou bloody prison, fatal and ominous to noble peers. Within the guilty closure of thy walls, Richard II here was hacked to death, and for more slander to thy dismal seat, we give thee up our guiltless blood to drink. Now Margaret's curse is fallen upon our heads for standing by when Richard stabbed her son. Then curse she Hastings, then curse she Buckingham, then curse she Richard. I'll remember God to hear her prayers for them as now for us and for my sister and her princely sons. Be satisfied, dear God, with our true blood, which, as thou knowest, unjustly must be spilt. Make haste. The hour of death is expitiate. Come, Gray. Come, Vaughn. Let us all embrace and take our leave until we meet in heaven. Exent. Scene four, the Tower of London. Enter Buckingham, Darby, Hastings, the Bishop of Eli, Ratcliffe, Lovell, and others, and take their seats at a table. My lords, at once, the cause why we are met is to determine of the coronation. In God's name, speak. When is the royal day? Are all things fitting for that royal time? It is, and one spot nomination. Tomorrow, then, I judge a happy day. Who knows the Lord Protector's mind herein? Who is most inward with the royal duke? Your grace, we think, should soonest know his mind. Who, I? My lord. My lord, I know we know each other's faces, but for our hearts... He knows no more of mine than I of yours, nor I no more of his than you of mine. Lord Hastings, you and he are near in love. I thank your grace. I know he loves me well, but for his purpose in the coronation, I have not sounded him, nor he delivered his gracious pleasure any way therein. But you, my noble lords, may name the time, and in the duke's behalf I'll give my voice, which I presume he'll take in gentle part. Enter Gloucester. For now in good time, here comes the Duke himself. My noble lords and cousins all, good morrow. I have been long a sleeper, but I hope my absence doth neglect no great designs, which by my presence might have been concluded. Had not you come upon your cue, my lord, William Lord Hastings had pronounced your part, I mean, your voice, for crowning of the king. Mm, Then, my Lord Hastings, no man might be bolder. His lordship knows me well and loves me well. I thank your grace. My lord of Ellie. My lord. When I was last in Holborn, I saw good strawberries in your garden there. I do beseech you send for some of them. Oh, Mary, and will, my lord, with all my heart. Exit. Cousin of Buckingham, a word with you. Drawing him aside. Catesby hath sounded Hastings in our business, and finds the testy gentleman so hot as he will lose his head ere give consent his master's son, as worshipful as he terms it, shall lose the royalty of England's throne. Withdraw you hence, my lord. I'll follow you. Exit Gloucester Buckingham following. We have not yet set down this day of triumph. Tomorrow, in mine opinion, is too sudden, for I myself am not so well provided, as else I would be, were the day prolonged. Re-enter Bishop of Ely. Where is my lord protector? I have sent for these strawberries. His grace looks cheerfully and smooth today. 
There's some conceit or other likes him well when he doth bid good morrow with such a spirit. I think that there's never a man in Christendom that can less hide his love or hate than he. For by his face straight shall you know his heart. What of his heart perceive you in his face by any likelihood he showed today? Marry, that with no man he here is offended. For were he, he had shown it in his looks. I pray God he be not, I say. Re-enter Gloucester and Buckingham. I pray you all, tell me what they deserve that do conspire my death with devilish plots of damned witchcraft, and that have prevailed upon my body with their hellish charms. The tender love I bear, your grace, my lord, makes me most forward in this noble presence to doom the offenders. Whatsoe'er they be, I say, my lord, they have deserved death. Mm. Then be your eyes the witness of this ill. See how I am bewitched. Behold, mine arm is like a blasted sapling withered up. And this is Edward's wife, that monstrous witch, consorted with that harlot strumpet shore that by their witchcraft have marked me thus. If they have done this thing, my gracious lord. If I, thou protector of this damned strumpet, tellest thou me of it. Thou art a traitor. Off with his head. Now, by St. Paul, I swear, I will not dine until I see the same. Lowell and Ratcliffe, look that it be done. The rest that love me, rise and follow me. Exunt all but Hastings, Ratcliffe, and Lovell. Woe, woe for England, not a whit for me, for I, too fond, might have prevented this. Stanley did dream the boar did raise his helm, but I disdained it and did scorn to fly. Three times today my foot-cloth horse did stumble and startled when he looked upon the tower, as loath to bear me there to slaughterhouse. Oh, now I want the priest that spake to me. I now repent, I told the pursuivant, as t'were triumphing at mine enemies, how they at Pomfret bloodily were butchered, and I myself secure in grace and favor. Oh, Margaret, Margaret! Now thy heavy curse is lifted, lighted on poor Hastings' wretched head. Dispatch, my lord, the duke would be at dinner. Make a short shrift, he longs to see your head. Oh, momentary grace of mortal men, which we more hunt for than the grace of God. Who builds his hopes in air of your good looks? Lives like a drunken sailor on a mast, ready with of every nod to tumble down into the fatal bowels of the deep. Come, come, dispatch. Tis bootless to exclaim. Oh, bloody Richard. Miserable England. I prophesy the fearfulest time to thee that ever wretched age had looked upon. Come, lead me to the block. Bear him my head. They smile at me that shortly shall be dead. Exempt. Scene five, the tower walls enter Gloucester and Buckingham in rotten armor, marvelously ill-favored. Come, cousin, canst thou quake and change thy color, murder thy breath in the middle of a word, and then begin again and stop again, as if thou wert distraught and mad with terror? What? I can counterfeit the deep tragedian. Speak and look back and pry on every side. 
tremble and start at wagging of a straw, intending deep suspicion, ghastly looks are at my service, like enforced smiles, and both are ready in their offices at any time to my to grace my stratagems. But what is Kate's be gone? He is, and see, he brings the mayor along. Enter the Lord Mayor and Catesby. Lord Mayor! Look to the drawbridge there. Hark, a drum. Catesby, overlook the walls. Lord Mayor, the reason we have sent... Look back, defend thee, hear our enemies. God and our innocency defend and guard us. Be patient, they are friends. Ratcliffe and Lowell. Enter Lovell and Ratcliffe with Hastings' head. Here is the head of that ignoble traitor, the dangerous and unsuspected Hastings. So dear, I love the man that I must weep. I took him for the plainest, harmless creature that breathed upon this earth a Christian. Made him my book wherein my soul recorded the history of all her secret thoughts. So smooth he daubed his vice with show of virtue. That his apparent open guilt omitted, I mean, his conversation with Shore's wife. He lived from all attainder of suspect. Well, well, he was the covertest sheltered traitor that ever lived. Would you imagine or almost believe, were it not that, by great preservation, we live to tell it you. The subtle traitor this day had plotted in the council house to murder me and my good Lord of Gloucester? What, had he so? What? Think you we are Turks or infidels? Or that we would, against the form of law, proceed thus rashly to the villain's death? But that the extreme peril of the case, the peace of England and our person's safety, enforced us to this execution? Now, fair befall you, he deserved his death. And you, my good lords, both have well proceeded to warn false traitors from the like attempts. I never looked for better at his hands after he once fell in with Mistress Shore. Yet, had not we determined that he should die until your lordship came to see his death, which now the loving haste of these, our friends, somewhat against our meaning, have prevented. Because, my lord, we would have had you heard the traitor speak and timorously confess the manner and the purpose of his treason, that you might well have signified the same unto the citizens who haply may misconstrue us in him and wail his death. But, good my lord, your grace's word shall serve, as well as I had seen and heard him speak, and doubt you not, right noble princes both, but I'll acquaint our duteous citizens with all your just proceedings in this cause. And to that end we wish your lordship here, to avoid the carping censures of the world. But since you come too late of our intents, yet witness what you hear we did intend, and so, my good Lord Mayor, we bid farewell. Exit Lord Mayor. Go. After, after, Cousin Buckingham. The Mayor towards Guildhall hies him in all post. There, at your meetest advantage of the time, infer the bastardy of Edward's children. Tell them how Edward put to death a citizen only for saying he would make his son heir to the crown. Meaning, indeed, his house, which by the sign thereof was termed so. Moreover, urge his hateful luxury and bestial appetite in change of lust, 
which stretched to the servants, daughters, wives, even where his lustful eye or savage heart without control listed to make his prey. Nay, for a need, thus far come near my person. Tell them when that my mother went with child of that unsatiate Edward, noble York, my princely father, then had wars in France and by just computation of the time found that the issue was not his begot which well appeared in his lineaments, being nothing like the noble duke my father. But touch this sparingly, as t'were far off, because you know, my lord, my mother lives. Fear not, my lord. I'll play the orator as if the golden fee for which I plead were for myself. And so, my lord, adieu. If you thrive well, bring them to Baynard's castle, where you shall find me well accompanied with reverend fathers and well-learned bishops. I go, and towards three or four o'clock, look for the news that the Guild Hall affords. Exit Buckingham. Go, Lord, with all speed to Dr. Shaw. Keep thee. Go thou to Friar Penker. Bid them both meet me within this hour at Bernard's castle. Exit all but Gloucester. <sighs> now will I in to take some privy order to draw the brats of Clarence out of sight and to give notice that no manner of person at any time have recourse unto the princess. Exit. Scene six, the same, enter a scrivener with a paper in his hand. This is the indictment of the good Lord Hastings, which in a sad hand fairly is engrossed, that it may be this day read over in Paul's. And mark how well the sequel hangs together. Eleven hours I spent to write it over. For yesternight by Catesby was it brought me. The precedent was full as long a doin'. And yet, within these five hours lived Lord Hastings, untainted, unexamined, freed at liberty. Here's a good world the while. Why, who's so gross that seeth not this palatable device? Yet who's so blind but says he sees it not? Eh? Bad is the world, and all will come to naught. And such bad dealings must be seen in thought. Exit. Scene seven, Baynard's Castle. Enter Gloucester and Buckingham at several doors. How now, my lord? What say the citizens? Now. By the Holy Mother of our Lord, the citizens are mum and speak not a word. Touched you the bastardy of Edward's children? I did. With his contract with Lady Lucy and his contract by deputy in France, the insatiate greediness of his desires and his enforcement of the city's wives, his tyranny for trifles, his own bastardy, as being got your father then in France. His resemblance being not like the Duke with all I did infer your lineaments being the right idea of your father, both in your form and nobleness of mind. Laid open all your victories in Scotland, your discipline in war, wisdom in peace, your bounty, virtue, fair humility. Indeed, left nothing fitting for the purpose untouched or slightly handled in discourse. And when mine oratory grew to an end, I bid them that did love their country's good cry, God save Richard, England's royal king. 
<laughs> and did they so? No. So God help me, they spake not a word, but like dumb statues or breathing stones gazed on each other and looked deadly pale, which when I saw, I reprehended them and asked the mayor what meant this willful silence. His answer was, the people were not wont to be spoke to, but by the recorder. Then he was urged to tell my tale again. Thus saith the duke, thus hath the duke inferred, but nothing spake in warrant from himself. When he had done, some followers of mine own at the um, lower end of the hall hurled up their caps and some 10 voices cried, God save King Richard. And thus I took the vantage of those few. Thanks, gentle citizens and friends, quoth I. This general applause and loving shout argues your wisdoms and your love to Richard. And even here break off, and came away. Mm, what tongueless blocks were they? Would they not speak? No. By my troth, my lord. Will not the mayor then and his brethren come? The mayor is here at hand, intend some fear. Be not you spoke with, but by mighty suit. And look, you get a prayer book in your hand. And um, stand betwixt two churchmen. Good, my lord. For on that ground, I'll build a holy descant. And be not easily won to our request. Play the, the maid's part. Still answer nay and take it. Hmm. I go. And if you plead as well for them as I can say, as I can say nay to thee for myself, no doubt will bring it to a happy issue. Go, go. Up to the leads. The Lord Mayor knocks. Exit Gloucester and enter the Lord Mayor and the citizens. Welcome, my lord. I dance attendance here. I think the duke will not be spoke with all. Enter Catesby. Oh, here comes a servant. How now, Catesby? What says he? My lord, he doth entreat your grace to visit him tomorrow or the next day. He is within with two right reverend fathers divinely bent to meditation, mm-hmm. and no worldly suit would he be moved to draw him from his holy exercise. Return, good Catesby, to thy lord again. Tell him, myself, the mayor and citizens, in deep designs and matters of great moment, no less importing than our general good, are come to have some conference with his grace. I'll tell him what you say, my lord. (laughs) Ha ha, my lord, this prince is not an Edward. He is not lolling on a lewd daybed, but on his knees at meditation not dallying with a brace of courtesans, but meditating with two deep divines, not sleeping to engross his idle body, but praying to enrich his watchful soul. Happy were England with this gracious prince take on himself the sovereignty thereof. But sure, I fear we shall ne'er win him to it. Mary, God forbid his grace should say us nay. I fear he will. Re-enter Catesby. How now, Catesby? What says your lord? My lord, he wonders to what end you have assembled such troops of citizens to speak with him. His grace not being warned thereof before, my lord, he fears you mean no good to him. Sorry I am my noble cousin should suspect me, that I mean no good to him. By heaven, I come in perfect love to him. And so once more return and tell his grace. Exit Catesby. 
When holy and devout religious men are at their beds, are at their beads, tis hard to draw them thence. So speaks zealous contemplation. Enter Gloucester abloft between two bishops, Catesby returns. <clears throat> See, where he stands between two clergymen. Two props of virtue for a Christian prince to stay him from the fall of vanity and see a book of prayer in his hand. True ornaments to know a holy man. Famous Plantagenet, the most gracious prince, lend favorable ears to our request and pardon us the interruption of thy devotion and right Christian zeal. My lord, there needs no such apology. I rather do beseech you pardon me, who earnest in the service of my God, neglect the visitation of my friends. But leaving this, what is your grace's pleasure? Even that, I hope, which pleaseth God above and all good men of this ungoverned isle. I do suspect I have done some offense that seems disgracious in the city's eyes, and that you come to, repre- to reprehend my ignorance. You have, my lord. Would it might please your grace at our entreaties? To amend that fault. Else wherefore, wherefore breathe I in a Christian land? Then no, it is your fault that you resign the supreme seat, the throne majestical, the sceptered office of your ancestors, your state of fortune and your due of birth, the lineal glory of your royal house, to the corruption of a blemished stock, whilst in the mildness of your sleepy thoughts, which here we waken to our country's good, This noble isle doth want her proper limbs, her face defaced with scars of infamy, her royal stock graft with ignoble plants, and almost shouldered in the swallowing gulf of blind forgetfulness and dark oblivion, which to recure, we heartily solicit your gracious self to take on you the charge and kingly government of this your land, not as protector, steward, substitute or lowly factor for another's gain but as successively from blood to blood your right of birth your empery your own for this consorted with the citizens your very worshipful and loving friends and by their vehement instigation in this just suit come i to move your grace I know not whether to depart in silence or bitterly to speak in your reproof. Best fitteth my degree or your condition if not to answer. You might haply think tongue-tied ambition, not replying, yielded to bear the golden yoke of sovereignty, which fondly you would here impose on me. If to reprove you for this suit of yours, so seasoned with your faithful love to me, then... On the other side, I checked my friends. Therefore, to speak and to avoid the first, and then in speaking, not to incur the last. Definitively, thus I answer you. Your love deserves my thanks. But my desert unmeritable shuns your high request. First, if all obstacles were cut away and that my path were even to the crown as my ripe revenue and due by birth, yet so much is my poverty of spirit, so mighty and so many my defects, as I had rather hide me from my greatness, being a bark to brook no mighty sea, than in my greatness covet to be hid. 
and in the vapor of my glory smothered. But, God be thanked, there is no need of me, and much I need to help you, if need were. The royal tree hath left us royal fruit, which mellowed by the stealing hours of time, will well become the seat of majesty, and make no doubt us happy by his reign. On him I lay what you would lay on me, the right and fortune of this of his happy stars, which God defend that I should ring from him. My Lord, this argues conscience in your grace, but the respects thereof are nice and trivial, all circumstances well considered. You say that Edward is your brother's son, so say we too, but not by Edward's wife, for first he was contract to Lady Lucy. Your mother lives a witness to that vow, and afterward by substitute betrothed to Bona, sister to the King of France. These both put by a poor petitioner, a care-crazed mother of a many children, a beauty waning and distressed widow, even in the afternoon of her best days, made prize and purchase of his lustful eye, seduced the pitch and height of all his thoughts to base declension and loathed, loathed bigamy. By her in this unlawful bed, he got this Edward, whom our manners term the prince. More bitterly could I expostulate, save that for reverence to some alive, I give a sparing limit to my tongue. Then, good my lord, take your royal self this proffered benefit of dignity. If none to bless us and the land withal, yet to draw forth your noble ancestry from the corruption of abusing times unto a lineal, derived course. Do, good my lord, your citizens entreat you. Refuse not, mighty lord, this proffered love. Oh, make them joyful, grant their lawful suit. <laughs> Alas, why would you heap these cares on me? I am unfit for state and majesty. I do beseech you, take it not amiss. I cannot, nor I will not yield to you. If you refuse it, as in love and zeal, loathe to dispose the child. Your brother's son, as well we know your tenderness of heart and gentle, kind, effeminate remorse, which we have noted in you to your kin and eagerly indeed to all estates. Yet whether you accept our suit or no, your brother's son shall never reign our king, but we will plant some other in the throne to the disgrace and downfall of your house. And in this resolution here, we leave you. Come, citizens, zounds. I'll entreat no more. Oh, do not swear, my lord of Buckingham. Exit Buckingham with the citizens. Call them again, my lord, and accept their suit. Do good, my lord, lest all the land do rue it. Would you enforce me to a world of care? Well, call them again. I am not made of stone, but penetrable to your kind entreats, albeit... Against my conscience and my soul. Re-enter Buckingham and the rest. Cousin of Buckingham, and you, sage, grave men, since you will buckle fortune on my back to bear her burthen, whether I will or no, I must have patience to endure the load. But if black scandal or foul-faced reproach attend the sequel of your imposition, your mere enforcement shall acquittance myself from all the impure blots and stains thereof. For God, he knows 
and you may partly see how far I am from the desire thereof. God bless your grace. We see it and will say it. In saying so, you shall but say the truth. And I salute you with this kingly title. Long live Richard, England's royal king. Amen. Amen. Tomorrow, will it please you to be crowned? Even when you please, since you will have it so. Tomorrow then, we will attend your grace, and so most joyfully we take our leave. Come, let us to our holy task again. Farewell, good cousin. Farewell, gentle friends. Exit. Act 4, Scene 1, Before the Tower. Enter on one side, Queen Elizabeth, Duchess of York, and Dorset. On the other, Anne, Duchess of Gloucester, leading Lady Mary, or Lady Margaret Plantagenet, Clarence's young daughter. Who meets us here? My niece, Plantagenet, led in the hand of her kind Anne of Gloucester. Now for my life she's wandering to the tower, on pure heart's love to greet the tender princes. Daughter, well met. God give your grace this is both a happy and a joyful time of day. As much to you, good sister. Whither away? No farther than the tower, and as I guess upon the like devotion as yourselves, to congratulate the gentle princes there. Kind sister, thanks. We'll enter all together. Enter Brackenberry. And in good time, here the lieutenant comes. Master Lieutenant, pray you, by your leave, how doth the prince and my young son my young son of York? Anne, are you here? Mm. Anne might have disappeared. Do you want Mark to say it? Uh, yeah, Mark, maybe you say it. I don't know where she is. I cry you, mercy. I mean the Lord Protector. Oh, no. oh, oh sorry. My, my apologies. Write well, dear madam. Be your patience. I may not suffer you to visit them. The king hath straightly charged the contrary. The king? Why, who's that? I cry you mercy. I mean the Lord Protector. The Lord protect him from that kingly title. Hath he set bounds betwixt their love and me? I am their mother. Who should keep me from them? I am their father's mother. I will see them. Their aunt I am in law and love their mother. Then bring me to their sights. I'll bear thy blame, and take thy office from thee on thy peril. No, madam, no, I may not leave it so. I am bound by oath, and therefore pardon me. Exit. Enter Lord Stanley. Let me but meet you, ladies, one hour hence, and I'll salute your grace of York as mother and reverend looker-on of two fair queens. Come, madam, you must straight to Westminster, there to be crowned Richard's royal queen. Oh, cut my lace in sunder, that my pent-up heart may have some scope to beat, or else I swoon with this dead-killing news. Despiteful tidings, oh, unpleasing news. Be of good cheer. Mother, how fares your grace? Oh, Dorset, speak not to me. Get thee hence. Death and destruction dog thee at the heels. Thy mother's name is ominous to children. If thou wilt outstrip death, go cross the seas and live with Richmond from the reach of hell. Go, hie thee, 
Hie thee from this slaughterhouse, lest thou increase the number of the dead, and make me die the thrall of Margaret's curse, nor mother, wife, nor England's counted queen. Full of wise care, is this your counsel, madam? Take all the swift advantage of the hours. You shall have letters for me to my son to meet you on the way and welcome you. Be not tame tardy by unwise delay. O ill-dispersing wind of misery, O my accursed womb, the bed of death, a cockatrice hast thou hatched to the world whose unavoided eye is murderous. Come, madam, come. I in all haste was sent. And I in all unwillingness will go. I would to God that the inclusive verge of golden metal that must round my brow were red-hot steel to sear me to the brain. Anointed, let me be with deadly venom, and die, ere men can say, God save the queen. Go, go, poor soul, I envy not thy glory to feed my humor. Wish thyself no harm. No. Why? When he that is my husband now came to me as I followed Henry's course, when scarce the blood was well washed from his hands, which issued from my other angel husband, and that dead saint, which then I weeping followed, oh, when I say I looked on Richard's face, this was my wish. Be thou, quoth I, accursed for making me so young, so old a widow. And when thou weddest, let sorrow haunt thy bed, and be thy wife, if any be so mad. And miserable by the life of thee, as thou hast made me by my dear Lord's death. Oh. Ere I can repeat this curse again, even in so short a space, my woman's heart grossly grew captive to his honey words. Proved the subject of my own soul's curse, which ever since hath kept my eyes from rest. For never yet one hour in his bed have I enjoyed the golden dew of sleep that have been waked by his timorous dreams. Besides, he hates me for my father Warwick and will no doubt shortly be rid of me. Poor heart. Adieu, I pity thy complaining. More than from my soul, than from my soul I mourn for yours. Farewell, thou woeful welcomer of glory. Adieu, poor soul, that takest thy leave of it. Go thou to Richmond, and good fortune guide thee. Go thou to Richard, and good angels guard thee. Go thou to sanctuary, and good thoughts possess thee. I to my grave, where peace and rest lie with me. Eighty-odd years of sorrow have I seen, and each hour's joy wrecked with a week of teen. Stay, yet look back with me unto the tower. Pity you ancient stones, those tender babes whom envy hath immured within your walls. Rough cradle for such little pretty ones. Rude, ragged nurse, old, sullen playfellow for tender princes. Use my babies well. So foolish sorrow bids your stones farewell. Exent. Scene two, London, the palace. Senate, enter King Richard III in pomp, crowned. Uh, Buckingham, Catesby, a page, and others. Stand all apart, cousin of Buckingham. My gracious sovereign. 
Give me thy hand. Thus high by thy advice and thy assistance is King Richard seated. But shall we wear these honors for a day or shall they last and we rejoice in them? Still live they and forever may they last. <laughs> oh, Buckingham, now do I play the touch to try if thou be current gold indeed. Young Edward lives. Think now what I would say. Say on, my loving lord. Why, Buckingham, I say I would be king. Why, so you are, my thrice renowned liege. <laughs> Am I king? <laughs> it is so. But Edward lives. True, noble prince. Oh, bitter consequence that Edward should still live. True, noble prince. Cousin, thou wert not wont to be so dull. Shall I be plain? I wish the bastards dead, and I would have it suddenly performed. What sayest thou? Speak suddenly, be brief. Your grace may do your pleasure. Tut, tut, thou art all ice, thy kindness freezeth. Say, have I thy consent that they shall die? Give me some breath, some little pause, my lord, before I positively herein. I will resolve your grace immediately. Exit. King is angry. See, he bites his lip. I will converse with iron-witted fools and unrespective boys. None are for me that look into me with considerate eyes. High-reaching Buckingham grows circumspect. Boy! Boy! My lord? Knowest thou not any whom corrupting gold would tempt onto a close exploit of death? My lord, I know a discontented gentleman whose humble means match not his haughty mind. Gold were as good as twenty orders and will no doubt tempt him to anything. Hmm. What is his name? His name, my lord, is Tyrrell. Hmm. I partly know the man. Go, call him hither. Exit page. <sighs> the deep revolting, witty Buckingham, no more shall be the neighbor to my counsel. Hath he so long held out with me untired, and stops he now for breath? Enter Stanley. How now? What news with you? My lord, I hear the Marquis Dorsets fled to Richmond, in those parts beyond the sea where he abides. Hmm. Stands apart. Catesby! My lord. Rumor it abroad that Anne, my wife, is sick and like to die. I will take order for her keeping close. Inquire me out some mean-born gentleman whom I will marry straight to Clarence's daughter. The boy is foolish, and I fear not him. Look how thou dreamst. I say again, give out that Anne, my wife, is sick and like to die. About it, for it stands me much upon to stop all hopes whose growth may damage me. 
is it Catesby? I must be married to my brother's daughter or else my kingdom stands on brittle glass. Murder her brothers and then marry her. Uncertain way of gain. But I am in so far in blood that sin will pluck on sin. Tear-falling pity dwells not in this eye. We enter page with Tyrrell. Is thy name Tyrrell? James Tyrrell, and your most obedient subject. Hmm. Art thou indeed? Prove me, my gracious sovereign. Darest thou resolve to kill a friend of mine? Ay, my lord. But I had rather kill two enemies, eh? Why, there thou hast it, two deep enemies. Foes to my rest and my sweet sleep's disturbers are they that I would have thee deal upon, Tyrell. I mean, those bastards in the tower. Hmm. Let me have open means to come to them, and soon I'll rid you from the fear of them. Thou singest sweet music. Come hither, Trill. Go by this token. Rise and lend thine ear. Mm-hmm. There is no more but so. Say it is done, and I will love thee, and prefer thee too. Tis done, my gracious Shall we hear from lord. Thee? Shall we hear from thee, Terrell, ere we sleep? Ye shall, my lord. Exit. Re-enter Buckingham. My lord, I have considered in my mind the late demand that you did sound me in. Hmm. Well, let that pass. Dorset is fled to Richmond. I hear that news, my lord. Stanley, he is your wife. Is he is your wife's son? Well, look to it. My lord, I claim your gift, my due by promise for which your honor and your faith is pawned, the earldom of Hereford and the movables which you promised I should possess. Stanley, look to your wife. If she convey letters to Richmond, you shall answer it. What says your highness to my just demand? As I remember, Henry VI did prophesy that Richmond should be king when Richmond was a little peevish boy. A king... Perhaps, perhaps... My lord! How chance the prophet could not at that time have told me, I being by, that I should kill him? My lord, your promise for the earldom. Richmond! When last I was at Exeter, the mayor in courtesy showed me the castle and called it Rogemont, at which name I started because a bard of Ireland told me once I should not live long after I saw Richmond. My lord. I. what's o'clock? I'm thus bold to put your grace in mind of what you promised me. Well, but what's o'clock? Upon the stroke of ten. Well, let it strike. Why let it strike? Because that, like a jack, thou keepest the stroke betwixt thy begging and my meditation. I am not in the giving vein today. Why, then resolve me whether you will or no. Tut, tut. Thou troublest me. I'm not in the vein. 
Exunt all but Buckingham. Is it even so? Rewards he my true service with such deep contempt? Made I him king for this? Let me think on Hastings and be gone to Brecknock while my fearful head is on. Exit. Scene three, the same. Enter Tyrrell. The tyrannous and bloody deed is done. A most arch-piteous massacre that ever yet this land was guilty of. Dighton and Forest, whom I did suborn to do this ruthless piece of butchery, although they were fleshed villains, bloody dogs, melting with tenderness and kind compassion, wept like two children in their deaths, sad stories. Lo, thus quoth Dighton, lay those tender babes. Thus, thus quoth Forest, girdling one another with their innocent alabaster arms. Their lips were full red roses on a stalk, which in their summer beauty kissed each other. A brook of prayers on their pillow lay, which once, quoth Forest, almost changed me mind. But, oh, the devil... There the villain stopped, whilst Dighton thus told on. We smothered the most replenished, sweet work of nature, that from the prime creation, ere she framed. Thus both are gone with conscience and remorse. They could not speak, and so I left them both to bring these tidings to the bloody king. Oh, and here he comes. Enter King Richard the Third. All ale, my sovereign liege. Mm, kind Turl, am I happy in thy news? If to have done the thing you gave in charge beget your happiness, be happy then, for it is done, my lord. Mm. But did, didst thou see them dead? I did, my lord. And buried, gentle Turl. Ha, the chaplain of the tower hath buried them. But how or in what place, I do not know. Come to me, Turl, soon at after supper, and thou shalt tell the process of their death. Meantime, but think how I may do thee good and be inheritor of thy desire. Farewell till soon. Exit, Tyrrell. The son of Clarence have I pent up close. His daughter meanly have I matched in marriage. The sons of Edward sleep in Abraham's bosom, and Anne, my wife, hath bid the world good night. Now, for I know the Breton Richmond aims at young Elizabeth, my brother's daughter, and by that nod looks proudly over the crown. To, to her I go, a jolling, thriving wooer. Enter Catesby. My lord. Good news or bad that thou comest in so bluntly? Bad news, my lord. Ely is fled to Richmond, and Buckingham, backed with the hardy Welshman, is in the field, and his power still increaseth. Ely, with Richmond, troubles me more near than Buckingham and his rash levied army. Come. I have heard that fearful commenting is leaden servitor to dull, to dull delay. Delay leads impotent and snail-paced beggary. Then fiery expedition be my wing. Jove's Mercury, and herald for a king. Come, muster men. My counsel is my shield. We must be brief when traitors brave the field. 
Excellent. Scene four before the palace. Enter Queen Margaret. So now prosperity begins to mellow and drop into the rotten mouth of death. Here in these confines, slyly have I lurked to watch the waning of mine adversaries. A dire induction am I witness to, and will to France, hoping the consequence will prove as bitter, black, and tragical. Withdraw thee, wretched Margaret. Who comes here? Enter Queen Elizabeth and the Duchess of York. Ah, oh, my young princes. Oh, my tender babes. My unblown flowers, new appearing sweets. If yet your gentle souls fly in the air and be not fixed in doom perpetual, hover about me with your airy wings and hear your mother's lamentation. Hover about her. Say that right for right hath dimmed your infant morn to ancient night. So many miseries have crazed my voice that my woe-wearied tongue is mute and dumb. Edward Plantagenet, why art thou dead? Plantagenet doth quit Plantagenet. Edward for Edward pay, pays a dying debt. Wilt thou, O oh God, fly from such gentle lambs and throw them in the entrails of the wolf? When didst thou sleep when such a deed was done? When holy Harry died and my sweet son. Blind sight, dead life, poor mortal living ghost. Woe's seen, world's shame. Graves due by life usurped, brief abstract and record of tedious days. Rest thy unrest on England's lawful earth. Sitting down. Unlawfully made drunk with innocence blood. Oh, that thou wouldst as well afford a grave as thou canst yield a melancholy seat. Then would I hide my bones, not rest them here. Who hath any cause to mourn but I? If ancient sorrow be most reverend, give mine the benefit of seniory, and let my woes frown on the upper hand. If sorrow can admit society, tell o'er your woes again by viewing mine. I had an Edward till a Richard killed him. I had a Harry till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst an Edward till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst a Richard till a Richard killed him. I had a Richard too, and thou didst kill him. I had a Rutland too, thou hopes to kill him. Thou hadst declarance too, and Richard killed him. From forth the kennel of thy womb hath crept a hellhound that doth hunt us all to death. That dog that had his teeth before his eyes to worry lambs and lap their gentle blood. That foul defacer of God's handiwork. That excellent grand tyrant of the earth that reigns in gallant eyes of weeping souls. Thy womb let loose to chase us to our graves. Oh, Upright, just, and true disposing God, how do I thank thee that this carnal cur preys on the issue of his mother's body and makes her pew fellow with others moan? Oh, Harry's wife, triumph not in my woes. God witness with me I have wept for thine. Bear with me. I am hungry for revenge, and now I cloy me with beholding it. Thy Edward, he is dead that stabbed my Edward. Thy other Edward dead to quit my Edward. Young York, he is but boot, but because both they match not the high perfection of my son. Thy Clarence, he is dead that killed my Edward, and the beholders of this tragic play, the adulterate Hastings, Rivers, Bond, Gray, untimely smothered in their dusky graves. Richard yet lives, hell's black intelligencer, only reserved their factor to buy souls and send them thither. 
but at hand, at hand ensues his piteous and unpitied end. Earth gapes, hell burns, fiends roar, saints pray to have him suddenly conveyed away. Cancel his bond of life, dear God, I pray that I may live to say the dog is dead. Oh, thou didst prophesy the time would come that I should wish for thee to help me curse that bottled spider, that foul bunch-backed toad. I called thee then bane flourish of my fortune. I called thee then poor shadow, painted queen. The presentation but of but what I was, the flattering index of a direful pageant, one heaved a high to be hurled down below, a mother only mocked with two sweet babes, a dream of that what thou wert, a breath, a bubble, a sign of dignity, a garish flag to be the aim of every dangerous shot, a queen in jest only to fill the scene. Where is thy husband now? Where be thy brothers? Where are thy children? Wherein dost thou joy? Who sues to thee and cries, God save the queen? Where be the bending peers that flattered thee? Where be the thronging troops that followed thee? Decline all this and see what now thou art. For happy wife, a most distressed widow. For joyful mother, one that wails the name. For queen, a very caitiff, crowned with care. For one being sued to, one that humbly sues. For one that scorned at me, now scorned of me. For one being feared of all, now fearing one. For one commanding all, obeyed of none. Thus hath the course of justice wheeled about and left thee but a very prey to time, having no more but thought of what thou wert, to torture thee the more, being what thou art. Thou, durst, thou didst usurp my place. And dost thou now, not now usurp the just proportion of my sorrow? Now thy proud neck bears half my burthened yoke, from which even here I slip my weary neck and leave the burthen of it all on thee. Farewell, York's wife and queen of sad mischance. These English woes will make me smile in France. Oh, thou well-skilled in curses, stay a while and teach me how to curse mine enemies. Forbear to sleep the nights and fast the days. Compare dead happiness with living woe. Think that thy babes were fairer than they were, and he that slew them fouler than he is. Bettering thy loss makes the bad causer worse. Revolving this will teach thee how to curse. My words are dull. Oh, quicken them with thine. Thy woes will make them sharp and pierce like mine. Exit. Why should calamity be full of words? Windy attorneys to their client woes. Airy succeeders of interstate joys, poor breathing orators of miseries. Let them have scope, though what they do in part help not all, yet do they ease the heart. If so, then be not tongue-tied. Go with me, and in the breath of bitter words, let smother my damned son, which thy two sweet sons smothered. I hear his drum, be copious and exclaims. Enter Richard Third, marching with drums and trumpets. Who intercepts my expedition? Oh, she that might have intercepted thee by strangling thee in her accursed womb from all the slaughters, wretch that thou hast done. Hidest thou that forehead with a golden crown, where should be graven, if that right were right, the slaughter of the prince that owed that crown, and the dire death of my two sons and brothers? Tell me, thou villain slave, where are my children? Thou toad, thou toad, where is thy brother Clarence? And little Ned Plantagenet, his son, 
Where is kind Hastings, Rivers, Vaughn, Gray? A flourish trumpets. Stike, strike alarum, drums. Let not the heavens hear these telltale women rail on the Lord's anointed. Strike, I say. Flourish alarums. Either be patient and entreat me fair, or with the clamorous report of war, thus will I drown your exclamations. Art thou my son? I, I thank God, my father, and yourself. Then patiently hear my impatience. <laughs> Madam, I have a touch of your condition, which cannot brook the accent of reproof. Oh, let me speak. Do then, but I'll not hear. I will be mild and gentle in my speech. Mm, and brief, good mother, for I am in haste. Art thou so hasty? I have stayed for thee, God knows, in anguish, pain, and agony. And came I not at last to comfort you? No, by the holy rood, thou knowest it well, thou camest on earth to make the earth my hell. A grievous burthen was my birth to, was thy birth to me. Tetchy and wayward was thy infancy. This, thy school days, frightful, desperate, wild, and furious. The prime of manhood, daring, bold, and venturous. By age confirmed, proud, subdued, bloody, treacherous, more mild, but yet more harmful, kind in hatred. What comfortable hour canst thou name that ever graced me in thy company? Faith, none. But Humphrey hour that called your grace to breakfast once forth of my company. If I be so disgracious in your sight, let me march on and not offend your grace. Strike the drum. I prithee, hear me speak. You speak too bitterly. Hear me a word, for I shall never speak to thee again. Hmm. So? Either thou wilt die by God's just ordinance, ere from this war thou turn a conqueror, or I, with grief and extreme age, shall perish and never look upon thy face again. Therefore, take with thee my most heavy curse, which in the day of battle hire thee more than all the complete armor that thou wearest. My prayer is on the adverse party fight, and there the little souls of Edward's children whisper the spirits of thine enemies and promise them success and victory. Bloody thou art, bloody will be thy end. Shame serves thy life, and doth my death attend. Exit. Far more cause, yet much less spirit to curse abides in me. I say amen to all. Stay, madam. I must speak a word with you. I have no more sons of the royal blood for thee to murder. For my daughters, Richard, they shall be praying nuns, not weeping queens, and therefore level not to hit their lives. Mm, you have a daughter called Elizabeth, virtuous and fair, royal and gracious. And must she die for this? Oh, let her live, and I'll corrupt her manners, stain her beauty, slander myself as false to Edward's bed, throw over her the veil of infamy so she may live unscarred of bleeding slaughter. I will confess she was not Edward's daughter. Mm, wrong not her birth. She is of royal blood. To save her life, I'll say she is not so. Her life is only safest in her birth. And only in that safety died her brothers. Lo, at their births, good stars were opposite. No, to their lives, bad friends were contrary. Mm. All unavoided in, this, in the doom of destiny. True. 
when avoided grace makes destiny. My babes were destined to a fairer death if grace had blessed thee with a fairer life. You speak as if that I had slain my cousins. Cousins, indeed. And by their uncle, cousin of comfort, kingdom, kindred, freedom, life. Whose hand soever lanced their tender hearts, thy head all indirectly gave direction. No doubt the murderous knife was dull and blunt till it was wetted on thy stone-hard heart to revel in the entrails of my lambs. But that still use of grief makes wild grief tame. My tongue should, should to thy ears not name my boys till that my nails were anchored in thine eyes. And I, in such a desperate bay of death, like a poor bark of sails and tackling reft, rush all to pieces on thy rocky bosom. Madam, so thrive I in my enterprise and dangerous success of bloody wars, as I intend more good to you and yours than ever you or yours were by me wronged. What good is covered with the face of heaven to be discovered that can do me good? The advancement of your children, gentle lady. Up to some scaffold, there to lose their heads? No. To the dignity and height of honor, the high imperial type of this earth's glory. Flatter my sorrows with report of it. Tell me what state, what dignity, what honor canst thou demise to any child of mine? Hmm. Even all I have, yea, and myself and all, Will I withal endow a child of thine, so in the leth of thy angry soul thou drown the sad remembrance of those wrongs which thou supposest, supposest I have done to thee? Be brief, lest that be process of thy kindness last longer telling than thy kindness date. Then know that from my soul I love thy daughter. <sighs> my daughter's mother thinks it with her soul. Hmm. What do you think? That thou dost love my daughter from my soul. So from thy soul's love didst thou love her brothers. And from my heart's love I do thank thee for it. Mm, Be not so hasty to confound my meaning. I mean that with my soul I love thy daughter and mean to make her queen of England. Say then, who dost thou mean shall be her king? Even he that makes her queen, who, who should be else? What, thou? I, even I. What think you of it, madam? How canst thou woo her? That would I learn of you, as one that are best acquainted with her humor. And wilt thou learn of me? Madam, with all my heart. Send to her, by the man that slew her brothers, a pair of bleeding hearts, thereon engrave Edward and York then haply she will weep. Therefore present to her, as sometime Margaret did to thy father, steeped in Rutland's blood, a handkerchief, which, say to her, did drain the purple sap from her sweet brother's body, and bid her dry her weeping eyes therewith. If this inducement force her not to love, send her a story of thy noble acts. Tell her how thou madest away her uncle Clarence, her uncle Rivers, yea, and for her sake madest quick conveyance with her good Aunt Anne. Come, come, you mock me. This is not the way to win our daughter. There is no other way. 
unless thou couldst put on some other shape and not be Richard that hath done all this. Say that I did all this for love of her. Nay, then indeed she cannot choose but hate thee, having bought love with such a bloody spoil. Look, what is done cannot be now amended. Men shall deal unadvisedly sometimes, which after hours give leisure to repent. If I did take the kingdom from your sons, to make amends, I'll give it to your daughter. If I have killed the issue of your womb, to quicken your increase, I will beget mine issue of your blood upon your daughter. A grandam's name is little less in love than is the, doing title, the doting title of a mother. They are as children, but one step below, even of your metal, of your very blood, of an one pain, save for a night of groans endured of her, for whom you bid like sorrow. Your children were vexation to your youth, but mine shall be a comfort to your age. The loss you have is but a son being king, and by that loss, your daughter is made queen. I cannot make you what amends I would, therefore accept such kindness as I can. Dorset, your son, that with a fearful soul leads discontented steps in foreign soil, this fair alliance quickly shall come home to high promotions and great dignity. The king that calls your beauteous daughter wife familiarly shall call thy Dorset brother. Again, shall you be mother to a king and all the ruins of distressful times repaired with double riches of content. What? We have many goodly days to see. The liquid drops of tears that you have shed shall come again, transformed to orient pearl, advantaging their loan with interest of 10 times double gain of happiness. Go. Then my mother to thy daughter, go. Make bold her bashful years with your experience. Prepare her ears to hear a wooer's tale. Put in her tender heart the aspiring flame of golden sovereignty. Acquaint the princess with the sweet, silent hours of marriage joys. And when this arm of mine hath chastised the petty rebel, dull-brained Buckingham, bound with triumphant garlands, will I come and lead thy daughter to a conqueror's bed, to whom I will retail my conquest won, and she shall be sole victress. Caesar's Caesar. What were I best to say? Her father's brother would be her lord? Or shall I say her uncle? Or he that slew her brothers and her uncles? Under what title shall I woo for thee that God, the law, my honor, and her love can make seem pleasing to her tender years? Mm -hmm. Infer fair England's peace by this alliance. Which she shall purchase with still lasting war. Say that the king, which may command, entreats. That at her hands, which the king's king forbids. Say she shall be a high and mighty queen. To wail the tide as her mother doth. <laughs> Say I will love her everlastingly. 
But how long shall that title ever last? Sweetly enforce unto her fair life's end. But how long fairly shall her sweet lie last? So long as heaven and nature lengthens it. So long as hell and Richard likes of it. <laughs> Say I, her sovereign, am her subject love. But she, your subject, loathes such sovereignty. Be eloquent in my behalf to her. An honest tale speeds best being plainly told. Uh, then in plain terms tell her my loving tale. Plain and not honest is too harsh a style. Your reasons are too shallow and too quick. Oh, no. My reasons are too deep and dead. Too deep and dead, poor infants in their grave. Ah, uh, harp not on that string, madam. That is past. Harp on it still shall I till heartstrings break. Now, by my George, my garter, and my crown. Profaned, dishonored, and the third usurped. I swear. By nothing. For this is no oath. The George, profaned, hath lost his holy honor. The garter, blemished, pawned his knightly virtue. The crown, usurped, disgraced his kingly glory. If something thou wilt swear to be believed, swear then by something that thou hast not wronged. Now, by the world. Tis full of thy foul wrongs. My father's death. Thy life hath that dishonored. Then by myself. Thyself, thyself misusest. Why then, by God. God's wrong is most of all. If thou hadst feared to break an oath by him, the unity the king thy brother made had not been broken, nor my brother slain. If thou hadst feared to break an oath by him, the imperial medal circling now thou, thy brow had graced the tender temples of my child, and both the princes had been breathing here, which now two tender playfellows to dust. Thy broken faith hath made a prey for worms. What canst thou swear by now? The time to come. That thou hast wronged in the time or past. For I myself have many tears to wash hereafter time, for time past wronged by thee. The children live whose parents thou hast slaughtered, ungoverned youth to wail it in their age. The parents live whose children thou hast butchered, old withered plants to wail it with their age. Swear not by time to come, for that thou hast misused ere used by time misused or past. As I intend to prosper and repent, so thrive I in my dangerous attempt of hostile arms. Myself, myself compound. Heaven and fortune bar me happy hours. Day, yield me not thy light, nor night thy rest. Be opposite all planets of good luck to my proceedings. If with pure heart's love, immaculate devotion, holy thoughts, I tender not thy beauteous princely daughter. In her consists my happiness and thine. Without her follows to this land and me, to thee herself and many a Christian soul, death, desolation, ruin, and decay. It cannot be avoided but by this. It will not be avoided but by this. Therefore, good mother, I must, can you so, be the attorney of my love to her. Plead what I will be, not what I have been. Not my deserts, but what I will deserve. 
urge the necessity and state of times and be not peevish fond in great designs. Shall I be tempted of the devil thus? Aye, if the, temp- if the devil tempt thee to do good. Shall I forget myself to be myself? Aye, if your self's remembrance wrong yourself. But thou didst kill my children. But in your daughter's womb I bury them, where in that nest of spiracy they shall breed selves of themselves to your recomforture. Shall I go win my daughter to thy will? Mm-hmm. And be a happy mother by the deed. I go. Write to me very shortly, and you shall understand from me her mind. Bear her my true love's kiss. And so farewell. Exit Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> Relenting fool and shallow changing woman. Enter Ratcliffe, Kate's be following. How now, what news? My gracious sovereign, on the western coast rideth a puissant navy. To the shore throng many doubtful, hollow-hearted friends, unarmed and unresolved to beat them back. Tis thought that Richmond is their admiral, and there they hull, expecting but the aid of Buckingham to welcome them ashore. Hmm. Some lightfoot friend posts to the Duke of Norfolk. Radcliffe, thyself or Catesby, where is he? Here, my lord. Fly to the Duke. Post thou to Salisbury, whence thou comest here. Dull, unmindful villain, why stand'st thou still and goest not to the Duke? Uh, first, my sovereign, let me know your mind. What from your grace I shall deliver to him? Oh, true, good Catesby. Catesby. Bid him levy straight the greatest strength and power he can make and meet me presently at Salisbury. I go. Exit. What is it your highness's pleasure I shall do at Salisbury? Why? What wouldst thou do before I go? Your highness told me I should post before. Mm, My mind has changed, sir. Uh, My mind has changed. Enter Stanley. How now? What news with you? None good, my lord, to please you with the hearing, nor none so bad, but it may well be told. Oy day, a riddle. Neither good nor bad. Why dost thou run so many mile about when thou mayst tell us, wait, when thou mayst tell thy tale a nearer way? Once more, what news? Richmond is on the seas. There let him sink, and be the seas on him. White-livered runagate, what doth he there? I know not, mighty sovereign, but by guess. Well, sir, as you guess, as you guess. Stirred up by Dorset, Buckingham, and Ely, he makes for England, there to claim the crown. Is the chair empty? Is the sword unswayed? Is the king dead? The empire unpossessed? What heir of York is there alive but we? And who is England's king but great York's heir? Then tell me, what doth he upon the sea? Unless for that, my liege, I cannot guess. Unless for that he comes to be your liege, you cannot guess wherefore the Welshman comes. Thou wilt revolt and fly to him, I fear. No, mighty liege, therefore mistrust me not. Where is thy power, then, to beat him back? 
Where are thy tenants and thy followers? Are they not now upon the western shore, safe conducting the rebels from their ships? No, my good lord, my friends are in the north. Mm, cold friends to Richard. What they do in the north when they should serve their sovereign in the west? They have not been commanded, mighty sovereign. Please, if your majesty, to give me leave, I'll muster up my friends and meet your grace where and what time your majesty shall please. <laughs> aye, aye, thou wouldst be gone to join with Richmond. I will not trust you, sir. Most mighty sovereign, you have no cause to hold my friendship doubtful. I never was, nor never will be, false. Well, go muster men. But here you, leave behind your son, George Stanley. Look your faith be firm, or else his head's assurance is but frail. So deal with him as I prove true to you. Exit, enter a messenger. My gracious sovereign, now in Devonshire, as I by friends am well advertised, Sir Edward Courtney and the haughty prelate Bishop of Exeter, his brother there, with many more confederates are in arms. Enter another messenger. My liege, in Kent the Guildfords are in arms, and every hour more competitors flock to their aid, and still in power increase it. Enter another messenger. My lord, the army of the Duke of Buckingham! Out on you owls! Nothing but songs of death! Striketh him! Take that until thou bring me better news. The news I have to tell your majesty is that by sudden floods and falls of water, Buckingham's army is dispersed and scattered, and he himself wandered away alone, no man knows whither. I cry thee mercy. There is my purse to cure that blow of thine. Hath any well-advised friend proclaimed reward to him that brings the traitor in? Such proclamation, proclamation hath been made, my liege. Enter another messenger. Sir Thomas Lovell and Lord Marquis Dorset, to said, my liege, in Yorkshire are in arms. Yet this good comfort bring I to your grace. The Breton navy is dispersed by tempest. Richmond in Yorkshire sent out a boat upon the shore to ask those on the banks if they were his assistants, yea or no. Who answered him, they came from Buckingham. Upon his party, he, mistrusting them, hoisted sail and made away for Brittany. Hmm. March on. March on since we are up in arms. If not to fight with foreign enemies, yet to beat down these rebels here at home. Re-enter Catesby. My liege, the Duke of Buckingham is taken. That is the best news. The Earl of Richmond is with a mighty power landed at Milford. It is colder tidings, yet they must be told. Ah, away towards Salisbury. While we reason here, a royal battle might be won and lost. Someone take order Buckingham be brought to Salisbury. The rest, march on with me. Flourish, exempt. Scene five, Lord Darby's house. Enter Darby and Sir Christopher Urswick. Sir Christopher, tell Richmond this from me, that in the sty of his most bloody boar, my son George Stanley is franked up in hold. If I revolt, off goes young George's head. The fear of that withholds my present aid. But tell me, where is princely Richmond now? At uh, Pembroke, or Harford West in Wales. What men of name resort to him? Sir Walter Herbert, a renowned soldier. Sir Gilbert Talbot, Sir William Stanley, 
Oxford, we doubted Pembroke, Sir James Blunt, and Rice App Thomas with a valiant crew, and many more of noble fame and worth. And towards London they do bend their course, if by the way they not be not fought with all. Return unto thy lord, commend me to him. Tell him the queen hath heartily consented he shall espouse Elizabeth, her daughter. These letters will resolve him of my mind. Farewell. Exit. Act 5, Scene 1, Salisbury, in open place. Enter the sheriff and Buckingham with halberds led to execution. Will not King Richard let me speak with him? No, my good lord. Therefore be patient. Hastings and Edward's children, Rivers, Grey, Holy King Henry, and thy fair son Edward, Vaughan, and all that have miscarried by underhand corrupted foul injustice, that your moody, discontented souls do through the clouds behold this present hour, even for revenge mock my destruction. This is All Souls Day, fellows, is it not? It is, my lord. Why then All Souls Day is my body's doomsday? This is the day that, in King Edward's time, I wished might fall on me when I was found false to his children or his wife's allies, this is the day wherein I wished to fall by the false faith of him I trusted most. This all souls day to my fearful soul is the determined respite of my wrongs. That high all seer that I dallied with hath turned my feigned prayer on my head and given in earnest what I begged in jest. Thus doth he force the swords of wicked men to turn their own points on their master's bosoms. Now Margaret's curse is fallen upon my head. (laughs) When he, quoth she, shall split thy heart with sorrow, remember Margaret was a prophetess. Come, sirs, convey me to the block of shame. Wrong hath but wrong, and blame the due of blame. Exempt. Scene two, the camp near Tamworth. Enter Richmond, Oxford, Blunt, Herbert, and others with drum and colors. Fellows in arms, and my most loving friends, bruised underneath the yoke of tyranny thus far into the bowels of the land, have we marched on without impediment. And here receive we from our father Stanley lines of fair comfort and encouragement the wretched, bloody, and usurping boar that spoiled your summer fields and fruitful vines, swills your warm blood like wash and makes his trough in your emboweled bosoms. This foul swine lies now even in the center of this isle, near to the town of Leicester, as we learn. From Tamworth thither is but one day's march. In God's name, cheerily on, courageous friends, to reap the harvest of perpetual peace by this one bloody trial of sharp war. Every man's conscience is a thousand swords to fight against that bloody homicide. I doubt not, but his friends will fly to us. Oh, he hath no friends, but who are friends for fear, which in his greatest need will shrink from him. All for our vantage. Then in God's name, March. True hope is swift and flies with swallows' wings. Kings, it makes gods, and meaner creatures, kings. Exempt. Scene three, Bosworth Field. Enter King Richard III in arms with Norfolk, uh, Surrey, and others. 
Here pitch our tents, even here in Bosworth Field. My lord of Surrey, why look you so sad? Huh? Uh, my heart is ten times lighter than my looks. <laughs> my lord of Norfolk? Here, most gracious liege. Norfolk, we must have Knox. Huh, must we not? Uh, we, most, we must both give and take, my gracious lord. Up with my tent there. Here will I lie tonight. But where tomorrow? Well, all's one for that. Who hath described the number of the foe? Uh, six or seven thousand is their utmost power. <laughs> Why? Our battalion trebles that account. Besides, the king's name is a tower of strength, which they upon the adverse party want. Up with my tent there. Valiant gentlemen, let us survey the vantage of the field. Call for some men of sound direction. Let's want no discipline. Make no delay for lords. Tomorrow is a busy day. Exunt. Enter on the other side of the field, Richmond, Sir William Brandon, Oxford, and others. Some of the soldiers pitch Richmond's tent. The weary sun hath made a golden set, and by the bright track of his fiery car gives signal of a goodly day tomorrow. Sir William Brandon, you shall bear my standard. Give me some ink and paper in my tent. I'll draw the form and model of our battle. Limit each leader to his several charge. And in part, just proportion our small strength. My Lord of Oxford, you, Sir William Brandon, and you, Sir Walter Herbert, stay with me. The Earl of Pembroke keeps his regiment. Good Captain Blunt, bear my good night to him, and by the second hour in the morning, desire the Earl to see me in my tent. Yet one more thing, good Blunt, before thou goest. Where is Lord Stanley Quarter? Dost thou know? Unless I have mistaken his colors much, which, well, I am assured I have not done, his regiment lies half a mile at least south from the mighty power of the king. If without peril it be possible, good Captain Blunt, bear my good night to him and give him from me this most needful scroll. Upon my life, my lord, I'll undertake it. And so, God gave you quiet rest tonight. Good night, good Captain Blunt. Come, gentlemen, let us consult upon tomorrow's business in our tent. The air is raw and cold. They withdraw into the tent. Enter to his tent, King Hen- Richard. The- Gosh, King Richard the Third, Norfolk, R- Ratcliffe, Catesby, and others. What is it o'clock? It's supper time, my lord. It's nine o'clock. I will not sup tonight. Give me some ink and paper. What? Is my beaver easier than it was? And all my armor laid into my tent. It is, my liege, and and all things are in readiness. Good Norfolk. Hie thee to thy charge. Use careful watch. Choose trusty sentinels. I go, my lord. Stir with the lark tomorrow, gentlemen. I warrant you, my lord. Exit. Catesby! My lord. Send out a pursuivant at arms to Stanley's regiment. Bid him bring his power before sunrising, lest his son George fall into the blind cave of eternal night. Exit Catesby. Fill me a bowl of wine. Give me a watch. Saddle white Surrey for the field tomorrow. Look that my staves be sound and not too heavy, Ratcliffe. My lord. Sawest thou the melancholy Lord Northumberland? Thomas, the Earl of Surrey, and myself, much about cockshut time from troop to troop, went through the army cheering up the soldiers. 
So, I am satisfied. Give me a bowl of wine. I have not that alacrity of spirit nor cheer of mind that I was wont to have. Set it down. Is ink and paper ready? Uh, it is, my lord. Bid my guard watch. Leave me. Ratcliffe, about the, mine, about the mid of night, come to my tent and help to arm me. Leave me, I say. Exit Ratcliffe and the other attendants. Enter Darby to Richmond in his tent, lords and others attending. Fortune and victory sit on thy helm. All comfort that the dark night can afford be to thy person, noble father-in-law. Tell me, how fares our loving mother? I, by attorney, bless thee from thy mother, who prays continually for Richmond's good. So much for that. The silent hours steal on, and flaky darkness breaks within the east. In brief, for so the season bids us be, prepare thy battle early in the morning, and put thy fortune to the arbitrament of bloody strokes and mortal staring war. I, as I may, that which I would, I cannot, with best advantage will deceive the time, and aid thee in this doubtful shock of arms, but on thy side I may not be too forward, lest being seen thy brother, tender George, be executed in his father's sight. Farewell. The leisure of the fearful time cuts off the ceremonious vows of love, of which ample interchange of sweet discourse, which so long sundered friends would dwell upon. God give us leisure for these rites of love. Once more, adieu. Be valiant and speed well. Good lords, conduct him to his regiment. I'll strive with troubled thoughts to take a nap, lest leaden slumber pease me down tomorrow, when I should mount with wings of victory. Once more, good night, kind lords and gentlemen. Exit all but Richmond. Oh, thou, whose captain I account myself, look on my forces with a gracious eye. Put in their hands thy bruising irons of wrath, that they may crush down with a heavy fall the usurping helmets of our adversaries. Make us thy ministers of chastisement, that we may praise thee in the victory. To thee I do condemn my watchful soul, ere I let fall the windows of mine eyes, sleeping and waking. Oh, defend me still sleeps. Enter the ghost of Prince Edward, son to King Henry the Sixth. Let me sit heavy on thy soul tomorrow. Think how thou stabbest me in, the, in my prime of youth at Tewkesbury. Despair, therefore, and die. To Richmond. Be cheerful, Richmond, for the wronged souls of butchered princes fight in thy behalf. King Henry's issue, Richmond, comforts thee. Enter the ghost of King Henry the Sixth to, to Richard. When I was mortal, my anointed body by thee was punctured full of deadly holes. Think on the tower and me, despair and die. Harry the Sixth bids thee despair and die. To Richmond. Virtuous and holy be thou, conqueror. Harry, the prophecy thou shouldst be king doth comfort thee in thy sleep, live, and flourish. Enter the ghost of Clarence, speaks to Richard the Third. 
Let me sit heavy on thy soul tomorrow. I that was washed to death with fulsome wine, poor Clarence, by thy guile betrayed death. Tomorrow in the battle, think on me and fall on thy edgeless sword. Despair and die. Speaks to Richmond. Thou offspring of the house of Lancaster, the wronged heirs of York do pray for thee. Good angels guard thy battle. Live and flourish. Enter the ghosts of Rivers, Grey, and Vaughn. They speak to Richard III. Let me sit heavy on thy soul tomorrow, rivers that died at Pomfret, despair and die. Think upon Grey and let thy soul despair. Think upon Vaughn. And with guilty fear, let fall thy lance, despair, and die. Awake, and think our wrongs in Richard's bosom. We'll conquer him. Awake, and in the day. day. Enter the ghost of Hastings, speaks to Richard III. Bloody and guilty, guiltily awake, and in a bloody battle end thy days. Think on Lord Hastings, despair, and die. To Richmond. Quiet, untroubled soul, awake, awake, arm, fight, and conquer for fair England's sake. Enter the ghosts of the two young princes. They speak to Richard III. Beam on thy cousin. Smother in the tower. Let, Let us be led within thy bosom, Richard, and weigh thee down to ruin and death. Thy nephew's souls bid thee despair and die. they speak to Richmond. Sleep, Richmond. Sleep in peace and wake in joy. Good angels, guard thee from the boar's annoy. Live and beget a happy race of kings. Edward's unhappy sons do bid thee flourish. Enter the ghost of Lady Anne. She speaks to Richard the Third. Richard, thy wife, thy wretched Anne, thy wife that never slept a quiet hour with thee, now fills thy sleep with perturbations. Tomorrow, in the battle, think on me. And fall thy edgeless sword, despair and die. To Richmond. Thou quiet soul, sleep thou a quiet sleep. Dream of success and happy victory. Thy adversary's wife doth pray for thee. And to the ghost of Buckingham who speaks to Richard III. The last was I that helped thee to the crown. The last was I that felt thy tyranny. Oh, in the battle, think on Buckingham. 
and die in the terror of thy guiltiness. Dream on, dream on of bloody deeds and death, fainting, despair, despairing, yield thy breath. To Richmond. I died for hope ere I could lend thee aid, but cheer thy heart, and be thou not dismayed. God and good angel fight on Richmond's side, and Richard falls in height of all his pride. The ghosts vanish. King Richard III starts out of his dream. Give me another horse. Bind up my wounds. Have mercy, Jesu. Soft. I did but dream. O coward conscience. How dost thou afflict me? The lights burn blue. It is now dead midnight. Cold, fearful drops stand on my trembling flesh. What do I fear? Myself? There's none else by. Richard loves Richard. That is, I am I. Is there a murderer here? No. Yes. I am. Then fly. What? From myself. Great reason. Why? Lest I revenge. What? Myself upon myself. Alack. I love myself. Wherefore? For any good that I myself have done unto myself? No. Alas, I rather hate myself for hateful deeds committed by myself. I am a villain. Yet I lie, I am not. Fool, of thyself speak well. Fool, do not flatter. My conscience hath a thousand several tongues, and every tongue brings in a several tale, and every tale condemns me for a villain. Perjury. <laughs> Perjury in the highest degree. Murder, stem murder in the direct, direst degree. All several skins, all used in each degree, throng to the bar, crying all guilty, guilty, I shall despair. There is no creature loves me. And if I die, no soul shall pity me. Nay, wherefore should they, since that I myself find in myself no pity to myself? Methought the souls, the souls of all that I had murdered came to my tent. And everyone did threat tomorrow's vengeance on the head of Richard. Enter Ratcliffe. My lord. Zunes, who is there? Ratcliffe, my lord, tis I. The early village cock hath twice done salutation to the morn. Your friends are up and buckle on their armor. Oh, Ratcliffe. I have dreamed a fearful dream. What thinkest thou? Will our friends prove all true? No doubt, my lord. Oh. <laughs> Radcliffe. I fear, I fear. 
Nay, good my lord, be not afraid of shadows. By the Apostle Paul, shadows tonight have struck more terror to the soul of Richard than can the substance of 10,000 soldiers armed and proof and led by shallow Richmond. It is not yet near day. Come, go with me. Under our tents, I'll play the eavesdropper to see if any mean to shrink from me. Exit. Enter the lords to Richmond sitting in his tent. Good morrow, Richmond. Good morrow, Richmond. Oh. Cry mercy, lords and watchful gentlemen, that you have taken a tardy sluggard here. How have you slept, my lord? The sweetest sleep and fairest boding dreams that ever entered in a drowsy head have have I since your departure had, my lords. Methought their souls, whose bodies Richard murdered, came to my tent and cried on victory. I promise you my soul is very jocund in the remembrance of so fair a dream. How far into the morning is it, lords? Upon the stroke of four. Why, then tis time to arm and give direction. His oration to his soldiers. More than I have said, loving countrymen, the leisure and enforcement of the time forbids to dwell upon. Yet remember this. God and our good cause fight upon our side. The prayers of holy saints and wronged souls like high-reared bulwarks stand before our faces. Richard, except those whom we fight against, had rather have us win than him they follow. For what is he they follow? Truly, gentlemen, a bloody tyrant and a homicide, one raised in blood and one in blood established one that made means to come by what he hath and slaughtered those that were the means to help him, a base foul stone made precious by the foil of England's chair where he is falsely set, one that hath ever been God's enemy. Then if you fight against God's enemy, God will in justice ward you as his soldiers. If you do sweat to put a tyrant down, you sleep in peace, the tyrant being slain. If you do fight against your country's foes, your country's fat shall pay your pains the higher. If you do fight in safeguard of your wives, your wives shall welcome home the conquerors. If you do free your children from the sword, your children's children quit it in your age. Then in the name of God and all these rights, advance your standards, draw your willing swords. For me, the ransom of my bold attempt shall be this cold corpse on the earth's cold face. But if I thrive, The gain of my attempt, the least of you shall share his part thereof. Sound drums and trumpets boldly and cheerfully, God and St. George, Richmond and victory. Exempt. Re-enter King Richard, Ratcliffe, attendants and forces. What said Northumberland as touching Richmond? That he was never trained up in arms. He said the truth. And what said Surrey then? He smiled and said, the better for our purpose. (laughs) He was in the right, and so indeed it is. Ten the clock there. 
It's 10 o'clock there. Give me a calendar. Who saw the sun today? Not I, my lord. Then he disdains to shine. For by the book, he should have braved the east an hour ago. A black day will it be to somebody, Radcliffe. My lord. The sun will not be seen today. The sky doth frown and lower upon our army. I would these dewy tears were from the ground, not shine today. Why, what is it that to me more than to Richmond? For the selfsame heaven that frowns on me looks sadly upon him. Enter Norfolk. Arm, arm, my lord, the foe vaunts in the field. Come, bustle, bustle, comparison, my horse. Call up Lord Stanley, bid him bring his power. I will lead forth my soldiers to the plain, and thus my battle shall be ordered. My forward shall be drawn out in all length, consisting equally of horse and foot. Our archers shall be placed in the midst. John, Duke of Norfolk, Thomas, Earl of Surrey, shall have the leading of this foot and horse. They, thus directed, we will follow in the main battle, whose puissance on either side shall be well-winged with our chiefest horse. This, and St. George to boot, what thinkest thou, Norfolk? A good direction, warlike sovereign. This found I on my tent this morning. He showeth the paper. Jockey of Norfolk, be not too bold, for Dixon thy master is bought and sold. I think devised by the enemy. Go, gentlemen, every man on to his charge. Let not our babbling dreams affright our souls. Conscience is but a word that cowards use. Devised at first to keep the strong in awe. Our strong arms be our conscience. Swords our law. March on. Join bravely. Let us to it pell-mell. If not to heaven, then hand in hand to hell. What shall I say more than I have inferred? Remember whom you are to cope with all. A sort of vagabonds, rascals, and runaways a scum of Bretons and base lackey peasants whom their overcloyed country vomits forth to desperate ventures and assured destruction. You, sleeping safe, they bring you to unrest. You, having lands and blessed with beauteous wives, they would restrain the one, disdain the other. And who doth lead them but a paltry fellow, long kept in Bretonage at our mother's cost. A milksop, one that never in his life felt so much cold as over his shoes in snow. Let's whip these stragglers over the seas again. Lash hence these overweening rags of France, these famished beggars weary of their lives, who but for dreaming on this fond exploit, for want of means, poor rats had hanged themselves. If we be conquered, let men conquer us and not these bastard Bretons whom our fathers have in their own land beaten, bobbed, and thumped, <laughs> and in record left them the heirs of their shame. Shall these enjoy our lands? Lie with our wives, ravish our daughters. Hark, I hear their drum. Fight, gentlemen of England. Fight, bold yeomen. Draw, archers. Draw your arrows to the head. Spur your proud horses hard and ride in blood. Amaze the welkin with your broken staves. Enter a messenger. What says Lord Stanley? Will he bring his power? My lord, he doth deny to come. 
off with his son George's head. My lord, the enemy is past the marsh. After the battle, let George Stanley die. A thousand hearts are great within my bosom. Advance our standards. Set upon our foes our ancient word of, car- of courage. Fair St. George, inspire us with the spleen of fiery dragons. Upon them, victory sits in our helms. Exent. Scene four, another part of the field. Alarum, excursions, enter Norfolk and the forces fighting to him, to him, Catesby. Rescue, my lord of Norfolk, rescue, rescue. The king enacts more wonders than a man, daring and opposite to every danger. His horse is slain and all on foot he fights, seeking for Richmond in the throat of death. Rescue, fair lord, or else the day is lost. Alarms, enter King Richard III. A horse, a horse. My kingdom for a horse. Withdraw, my lord. I'll help you to a horse. Slave, I have set my life upon a cast, and I will stand the hazard of the die. I think there be six Richmonds in the field. Five have I slain today instead of him. A horse! A horse! My kingdom for a horse! Exempt. Scene five, another part of the field. Alarum, enter King Richard III in Richmond. They fight. King Richard III is slain. Retreat and flourish. Re-enter Richmond, Darby bearing the crown, and divers other lords. God and your arms be praised, victorious friend. The day is ours. The bloody dog is dead. Courageous Richmond. Well, hast thou acclipped thee? Lo, here, this long usurped royalty from the dead temples of this bloody wretch have I plucked off to grace thy brows withal. Wear it, enjoy it, and make much of it. Great God of heaven, say amen to all. But tell me, is young George Stanley living? He is, my lord, and safe in Leicester Town. Whither, if it please you, we may now withdraw us. What men of name are slain on either side? John, Duke of Norfolk, Walter, Lord Ferrers, Sir Robert Brackenbury, and Sir William Brandon. Inter their bodies as becomes their births. Proclaim a pardon to the soldiers fled that in submission will return to us. And then, as we have ta'en the sacrament, we will unite the white rose and the red. Smile heaven upon this fair conjunction that long have frowned upon their enmity. What traitor hears me and says not amen? England hath long been mad and scarred herself. The brother blindly shed the brother's blood. The father rashly slaughtered his own son. The son compelled being butchered to the sire. All this divided York and Lancaster, divided in their dire division. Oh, now let Richmond and Elizabeth, the true succeeders of each royal house, by God's fair ordinance conjoin together. And let their heirs, God if thy will be so, enrich the time to come with smooth-faced peace, with smiling plenty and fair, prosperous days. Abate the edge of traitors, gracious Lord, that would reduce these bloody days again and make poor England weep in streams of blood. 
Let them not live to taste this land's increase that would with treason wound this fair land's peace. Now civil wounds are stopped. Peace lives again. That she may long live here. God say amen. Exit. Enter troubadours. Some say war, it's cause of Richard, the second of his name. Some say war, it's cause of Henry, who started this whole game. Some say war, it's cause of Maggie, because her husband's lame. I say war, it's cause of flowers and pride, the thing to blame. But when this dick, he came a-snooping, the king never stood a chance, because his pride, it had been broken, he never learned to dance. Because of the hump? Because of his hump, he had a chip upon his shoulder. He had to hurt the world. Fuckery was his MO until it all unfurled. Because you're a tyrannical mess And your people know you're phony Power hungry and ruthless Just remember in the winter Far beneath Comes a tutor, and he's a blooming as England's brand new rose. Woo! Woohoo! Yes! Oh my god! Jesus! That was Suck in everyone else who's ever done a Shakespeare play. Yeah. That was like, how did we? We just did like almost all of them. All the oh my history. Gosh. 